to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This week, James Bond is in black and white, so I'm your film host, James Page from MI6, and we are doing Casino Royale this week, the uh, the long version. So this week we are joined by Bill. Well, a long version depends on your experience, right? The 67 <laughs> version seems like it's four hours long to me. Um, so this week we're joined with Bill, Calvin, Ellipsis, Dr. Lisa, and David. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spike Man. I'm Calvin Dyson. I run the Calvin Dyson YouTube page where I review all things Bond, films, books, games included. Uh, hi, I'm Ellipsis this week. Uh, for some reason. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential uh, magazine. And um, I'm currently experiencing uh, a, a late form of the Millennium Bug. <laughs> a tardy form. I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond with Klaus Dodds. I am editor for His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And I am drinking some yummy uni tea from uh, the Brew Gourmet Tea Club, and it is delicious. Is this a paid product placement? (laughs) (laughs) They did send me the tea because they heard about my allergies, so I'm very happy to drink it. It's terrible here. Maybe I never get sent. All right, (laughs) (laughs) David, you're going to tell us that you got free goodies that you're eating as well this week, right? Yes, David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier, and uh, well, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) David got a free Aston Martin this week. Jealous, yeah, right here, jealous. How does does how's the how's the fit on the robe? Yeah, good. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's good, it's good, but it fits perfectly. Yeah, very, very nice. <laughs> I can't believe they made less of those than they made those backgammon sets. Like, uh-huh. how did they? Yeah, I think it would sell less. I yeah, I always am suspicious about how limited the limited numbers are. Anyway. <laughs> Right, Bill, you won the vote this week with Casino Royale. Yes, and I would say it's uh, obviously one of the most significant uh, films in the series where they started over. So let's get to it. Yeah, and so you're in charge of the lion this week. So if everybody's got Leo in monochrome open. Mm -hmm. In a second, I have to go. Okay. Ah. Okay. I'm queued up. All right. Ready? Everybody ready? Yep. Yep. Three, two, one. One play. Rawr. Rawr. Bravo. Yeah. I was going to do it as Michael G. Wilson. I only said I got the idea about ten minutes before we began recording, but I decided that wasn't such a good idea. So. <laughs> so did anybody go into this the first time not knowing it was opening in black and white and was surprised? Me. Yep, me. I, I did not. I, I can't remember. Yeah. Probably I did know it was going to be black and white. I knew there was no gun barrel at the start, but I did not know it was going to be in black and white. I think wasn't some of this released in the trailer, though, some of this black and white yes. footage? So, yeah. I, yeah, I guess I wasn't too surprised that it was black and white. Um, just disappointed that the rest of the film wasn't black and white. I thought it was going to be black and white the whole way through. <laughs> hmm. 
Well, you can you can fix that at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, but I think it's so really it's so- effective in being like a visual differentiation by saying it's a prequel by giving us this black and white opening. It's mm-hmm. saying something different. This is a, a separation divergence giving us the origin story. So in retrospect, when I watched it in theater, I was like, what is this? In retrospect, I think it's a really um, uh, innovative way for us to see the first and second kills for Bond. Mm. Right, because in the 21st century, how many black and white movies do you see? I mean, mm-hmm. there are some, but not very many. No. Um, I mean, as late as the mid-60s, the Academy Awards gave out separate awards for uh, photography and color in black and white, but died out by the, probably about 65 or so. The, the artist famous, in uh, 2011. I was just going to say the famous um, Prague skyline. Bond in toilets. Oh, this takes toilets up to a whole new level. Can I just say, this is a flashback within a flashback, which is kind of normally pretty bad writing. Um, And they've gone black and white, but they went, oh, if black and white means... Um, it's a flashback, then we're going to have to go even grainier black Yeah, they're going to get grainy. Um, you know what? In 1962, there was the man who shot Liberty, Liberty Valance who had a flashback within a flashback. So yeah. it's not unprecedented. I mean, technically, this is set in the past, but it's not It didn't. It's not framed as a flashback. This, no. uh, well, I think the fact that it's in... in Dryden. But surely that, that is because it's black and white. It's trying to say that it's in the past. That's a kind of a, a, a fairly... Oh. Well, or it's, it's, well, as soon as soon as he makes his second kill, though, it, that's when it goes to color, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I exactly. kind of so take it more as a representation yeah. of, of of that, really. Yeah. Like this isn't Bond, and then it goes into color. I don't know. I think there there are multiple ways to read it, though. Certainly, um, and I, but I, I think it, you know, it is largely done just for the stark contrast between this and the previous one, and it does get your attention immediately. It tells you immediately we're doing something different here. In other words, this is not by another day. Yeah, (laughs) you've got got the cricketers on on the on the wall of the bathroom. The pictures of cricket players because it was obviously uh, you know elements of that were cut out where he was uh, you know at at the cricket ground tailing Um, tailing the guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's an interesting whip pan when he shoots uh, um, Dryden. Yeah, I actually I like this gun barrel as well. By the way, a lot of people didn't like it, but I really like oh, it. Oh, I, 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 um, I think it's good. Yeah, mm. you know, we, um, it's, but yeah, it's, when it's, di- shoots- it's different enough, but it nods in the in the right direction. Mm. I think there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, when he shoots Dryden, it's interesting. They put in a uh, an insert shot of Dryden's family into mm-hmm. the whip into the whip pan, which uh, kind of I suppose is to sort of say that you know he might be a bad guy, but. You know, he's still it's still sort of a cold blooded kill in a way. So mm. I think that's I think that's what they're trying to do by put, putting that insert shot in there. I've actually um, read it in a different way. I, I read this entire beginning as being a shift away from the typical libido-based heroism that came in the previous eras. And it's really, this film is about a different type of mode of heroism. It is a body-based, more Hollywood-style mode that's more about the body enduring pain. And you see it in the opening credits. The opening credits are not about women in silhouette. There isn't this notion of confirming masculinity through sex and sexuality. It's about Bond defeating his opponent 
components. And so when he says to the guy, I know where you keep your gun, that could be a literal thing, but it's also a figurative thing. And I see it as being sort of like shooting out the modes of the past and bringing in and stepping into sort of a new world of, of, of bond. It's definitely a different uh, mm-hmm. feel for the titles. And I think uh, Danny Kleinman even commented about it at the time. Um, you know, no nude silhouettes or any of that kind of stuff. Oh, we're about to see it. There she is, Eva Green's uh, face on the oh. queen. Yeah, but ha- spoilers um, in the title sequence because it shows rotoscoped versions of Bond killing people, which he does in the film later. Huh. Oh, are these yeah. actual shots from later in the film? This wasn't like well, the, the mechanisms he kills people in, in the in the title sequence. Some of them are actually from the film later on, so oh, yeah. it's quite cleverly done. And there's this bl- there's this blood wiggle we're going to see here, which some people say says CR. CR, yeah, or, uh, it does. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I never and, noticed and, that. And, and, and also, for those who don't know what rotoscoping is, rotoscoping is where you do drawings. Um, frame by frame from you know you shoot something on film and then an animator traces it frame by frame and the uh, earliest i mean that's a that's a technique that goes back to the earliest days of animation mm. um yeah I, I i it wouldn't surprise me if this was some sort of advanced program i don't know if it was if you know someone was there at literally drawing over each frame um Having done rotoscoping myself, this is a little bit too smooth, maybe? Uh, well, certainly the, t- uh, the technology had improved uh, yeah. by the time of this film. But you know, rotoscoping as a technique goes back to very early animation. Oh, totally. I mean, a lot of the early Disney films like Snow White, so if, if there's a realistic human character in an early Disney film, they're probably, if not rotoscoped, heavily influenced by live action reference. Also, the Fleischer brothers, who were a rival, who were a rival to the Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, you had uh, a film called Gulliver's Travel, where you had an ultra realistic Gulliver with these mm-hmm. cartoon dwarf <laughs> small people. So it's like very, yeah. It goes back, you know, 30s, 40s, okay. even beyond. Yeah. Here, here we are in uh, Uganda, otherwise known as Black Park. Can we go the back for a second? Can we go yes, back yes, for a second to talk about the, the, the song that was in the opening mm-hmm. credit by Chris Cornell, which I think is a great Bond song. I love the soundtrack for this film. Um, I love the way that that song is woven in instrumentally. But as a sidebar, like I've walked through my neighborhood listening to that song and not realizing I'm like belting along, you know, my name, you know, my name. And my neighbors are like, who are you? Um, <laughs> I, I think you once admitted to really singing effect- it in the supermarket, Lisa. <laughs> oh, I've done that too. Like, yeah, I sing in the supermarket. Well, when I used to go to the supermarket, uh, post-corona, I probably still will will do it. But I think it's a really, I don't know what your thoughts are, but to me, it's just, it's a really effective song that's like, you know who I am. And that's a great way, I think, to restart the Bond franchise. Well, this is, of course, the last time that the film's composer collaborated on the title song. So it's mm-hmm. not just Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell and David Arnold wrote it with Chris Cornell performing it and so this has not occurred since this film in the bond series it was not met with universal acclaim when it came out there's a lot of old what i call the grumpy bond fans that did not like it and then they they, they saw it in the theater and they're they're, they're, yeah i wasn't i wasn't convinced by it at first but uh i I did i I do i do like it now so it's definitely grown on me 
Yeah. Well, I, I think I it do grows like on the way me. That they've managed to sell. Yeah, Go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say they've great. really sold the fact that this is this is very hot, <laughs> and they you know like everyone's sweating very heavily. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's actually a, sort of a cold um, October afternoon, probably. Mm. Um, it's the clay on the freezing. floor that really sells it. I know that Peter Lamont had yeah. to like import a load of clay or something to give it that orange sort of uh, look. Mm. But I think it's really effective. And here's the chap that was cut out of. The world is not enough. Yeah. Yes. Nice that he finally uh, got his little role. I do remember uh, um, watching this scene in the theater first run. I was thinking, you know, he's probably part of Spectre. They may not be able to call it Spectre, but that's essentially who he's working for. Mm. Um, and you know what? They probably should have stuck with that technique of keeping it mysterious and not giving it a name with quantum yeah. 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 moving all that. But I agree with yeah, that. That was, that was a mistake. Had, had, had Daniel Craig not wanted that movie to be called Quantum of Solace, then the organization would not have been called Quantum. Yeah, right. I think you're right. So what uh, do we learn from Spy School here, Ben? What do we learn? Lesson one in Spy School. What is it? Um, don't touch don't, your ear. Don't get, don't get the T-boy <laughs> to don't, – don't give a T-boy a gun. Is that <laughs> the work experience lad shouldn't, shouldn't um, be allowed on the mission? Um, he, I mean, uh, well, for a long time he was he was referred to as work experience boy, wasn't he? Um, I, yes. I, I, I quite I, I quite like the fact that because he's just he's utterly which is in which is funny you'd you'd put a, a new recruit with a brand new double O. Yeah, know, exactly. They're both kind of noobs at their level of employment. Mm-hmm. Um, Fukan is uh, pretty amazing. Um, a lot shorter in real life. Uh, surprisingly, um, he comes up to my shoulder, um, oh. but a really nice, but a really nice guy. Um, and uh, okay, it was a couple of years ago uh, when I met him, but even back then, he was still doing parkour school training in London. So you could literally phone him up and be like, "Hey, can I can I go train with you?" And he'd be like, "Yeah, sure." And Which I really, what I what I really like about this scene going off of the bar- parkour is the difference between their styles. And so you mm. do have these smooth movements, uh, sort of defying gravity, utilizing your resources. And then you have Daniel Craig's Bond, who is called a blunt instrument for a reason. He is bulldozing, you know, through obstacles, running through walls, you know, utilizing construction equipment and bulldozers or whatever we want to call these 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 uh, elements. And I think that it's an interesting contrast, but it also showcases it's a great way to introduce Bond in the way that he's being framed um, as, as, as in a sense, he has like the, the initiative to do stuff. He's got the instincts, but he lacks that touch or um, he doesn't understand some of the nuances geopolitically of the significance of the things that you do. He, he's Hulk Bond. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when he smashes through the wall coming up here in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to do that since seeing this film. I've always wanted to run through drywall to <laughs> <laughs> see if it does exactly that. Mm. It is really effective, though, and quite unusual at this point in the franchise. Coming after Dine of the Day is, is again, but, you know, where all the action sequences there are kind of, you know, crash bang wallop and quite, you know, impressive visuals in places. But this is actually an action sequence that's telling you something about the character all the way yeah. through, which is, yeah, uh, something and, quite and it's, fantastic. It's also an intelligent use of CGI because they had mm. um, 
safety wires, safety cables, whatever. And, but you can't see them thanks to the CGI. But, uh, so it's safer than it looks in the finished film. I mean, it's still yeah. like great stunt work. Don't get me wrong. I always, but. I always wonder why Malacca shoots those two random guard dudes, but he doesn't shoot at Bond when yeah. he's mm. right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It does um, tell you though that it's kind of uh, you know they make the point of always showing oh the guys getting out of the crushed police cars after the tank rolls over them in golden eye and all that kind of stuff. Here it's saying like oh no innocent bystanders can actually just die, um, mm-hmm. and and it raises the stakes more than they have been before. Uh, I agree with that. One of the things that annoys me about this is coming up, which is um, Malacca's gun. Um, if it's empty, the slide should be rocked back. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, it's clear, and, and Bond would know that. So, you know, him facing off against it and, you know, expecting it to be empty, he'd only know that if, it, if the slide was rocked back. It, it's, it's, it's either a jam, in which case he would have no idea about that. Um, so I feel like it's a uh, that at that moment, you know, it's it the, the jokes kind of lost. Um, but this is an incredible piece of stunt work, um, mm. and you can hardly see Ben Cook. Right. <laughs> Does anybody else get a true lies feel? Because I, I found that from the the, the initial uh, fight sequence in the bathroom uh, to some of the, the crane mm-hmm. work, when I first saw mm-hmm. it, I was like, ooh, this feels like it's speaking to True Lies, which would be an interesting, like, it's a connection where, like, True Lies is inspired by old school James Bond, which is now this well, one. Also, production, design by P- production designed by Pete Lamont in both movies. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Yeah, it's Baby Stay Out, I think. Um <laughs> The construction site team. Um, I remember in I remember in the theatre seeing this where people hadn't seen it before and they oohs and ahs when he jumps off the crane into the roofs. Um, really good. It was still yeah. getting that when I saw this at uh, Secret Cinema a couple of times last year with big audience who clearly did you know hadn't had seen this film you know thirteen fourteen years ago and that was it but they still react. Suppos- I was about to say supposedly there was a first draft when Brosnan may or may not have come back. That more or less began the pre-title began with this foot chase. Um, anyway, but I don't know. I've never seen that draft, but people swear by it. So, uh, I, I come coming back to what Calvin and uh, both Lisa have, have said on this. This is really a great way to kind of reveal character through action. Um, yeah, mm. which, hold, hold which on. it should. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, Go ahead, Ben. Which. No, I was just saying it's uh, it really is just a, a, a revel like revealing the character. Um, you know, this point on the, the scissor lift is particularly good, where you know he's he's thinking outside of the box and he's uh, thinking laterally, and you know, um, but he also has this incredible determination um, and tenacity, and I think that that's kind of like it, it's just every single thing that happens is building our, our awareness of Bond as a as a character. Um, you, you can't get any more blunt instrument than running through drywall. And I, right? and I say that that's not a joke. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's a serious observation. Mm-hmm. This guy's got his passport already somehow. <laughs> I don't know, I've never backpack, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, he turns, he runs up and the guy's got, um, you know, the guard's already holding his identity papers. Like, I don't know how Let that me, quite worked out. 
there was there was an alternate version of this bit, wasn't there? Um, I'm going to forget it now. <laughs> Where they were do, going to do this embassy sequence differently, but um, great commentary, James. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll come to me like in an hour into the movie. I love how they really keep up the momentum between these, even though there's there is kind of that little lull as. Um, Oh, what's his name? Malaka. Malaka? Yeah, he gets to the embassy yeah. and everything, and then Bond has to jump over. There's just a slight lull, but then it's straight back into the action. You kind of are lulled into thinking that yeah, at the end of the over. action sequence now, and then it just keeps on going. I think it's really well edited, well paced, all that. Yeah. And here we go oh. to Daniel Craig's first day on set as James oh. Bond was doing this run past the window with it all exploding. Mm. Um, the I was about to say the editor is Stuart Baird, who would later come back for uh, Skyfall. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, Stuart Baird also uh, directed the first Superman movie in 1978 with Christopher Reeve. So, I always sort of feel like this bit where they go into this room feels very kind of staged. I don't know why it, it just never kind of like feels real for me. It's just like you can almost see the pirate feel the pyrotechnic technicians kind of just setting the squibs off. Um mm. but generally I do I, I, I think this whole sequence, I mean what is it, like ten minutes? Um, yeah. it's a long it's, action sequence. It's mm. pretty it's pretty amazing. Um and um you know right up until this uh, this this moment here with, with this confrontation it, you know, even when he even when he fires, it's kind of it's all revealing who he is, um, his recklessness, the fact that he's he can do all this cool stuff, but he's still a little unpolished. It's um, it's brilliantly done. Mm. So in MythBusters, they did try the shoot the gas can at the canisters thing, and it it doesn't do that apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but that's only if the uh, gas can are canister doesn't have exploding which you'll notice at this embassy can <laughs> i just m- mention also um you can shoot a gas canister once and it blows up half the embassy but you can shoot a, 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 tr- a, a petrol tanker multiple times crash it through <laughs> several things and yeah. yes. it, it won't catch fire it won't spark so oh, um, oh look what's that say Ellipsis. Said ellipsis. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It didn't say. It, it didn't say Nokia because that was scuffed off the phone. <laughs> I was about to say what Ben's describing is situational physics. Yeah, yeah. So there was a longer sequence here of Falenka swimming, which they filmed and then cut out. Mm. That's uh, interesting. Ooh, back green screen. Yeah. yeah. Interesting thing is that um, she's the only person to have actually killed James Bond. Ah, oh, that's a good bit of trivia. I oh, like yeah. that. And yet, she is as the biggest mortal threat to Bond. She's not somebody whose death is even shown on screen, which is no. one of those things where I, I have an issue with like the representation of female villainy, which we we get very little in the Daniel Craig era. But when you have somebody of her nature who actually kills Bond, kind of like maybe Irma Bunt killing um, uh, Tracy, Tracy DiVincenzo, and yet. You know, Irma Bunt gets away with it, but we only find out about Vilenka's death, like in passing through like a, a brief comment. And I feel as though maybe she deserved just a little bit more just mm. to be shown in the way that she dies. 
And uh, this woman's casting, she was in You Only Live Twice in the pre-titles. So so Bond's father-in-law killed the woman that killed him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm like that 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 meme connecting lines. Have you got the little <laughs> red, red string on the wall? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's really bizarre. Um, I just a quick quick word on Matt Milton. Um, I think he's just great in this. Um, mm. he he does kind of. He's he's a good looking guy, but he he just manages to kind of just do that kind of sinister, sweaty kind of nastiness really well. Yeah, um, I, I like I like him in it too. The, the um, okay, a couple of things about his, his character. One is the the inhaler is never explained in the film, but if you've read the book, no. it's you know that it's been uh, it's influenced by the, the benzadrine inhaler that he has. Mm. Um, uh, and you, you, it looks like an asthma inhaler, and you never know what he's taking in the film. And the other thing is his bleeding eye. I, I just thought was completely unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I, I always found, found that a bit stupid. But uh, well, it also taps into sort of ableism in the way that disability is presented, and it's continuing to be presented as being this defining feature. Um, of, of, of antagonists. And, and it is a question like, is it necessary? Does his bleeding eye have to be his tell? Or um, right. is, there, is there something else that should be, should be more pronounced? Well, he's considerably better looking than the uh, Le Chief of the novel. Um, yeah, mm. right. Um, also, real quick about uh, that first scene with M, she says she misses the Cold War, mm. whereupon... Judy Dench in the Brosnan era, like was like a post Cold War M. Yes. So this is, you know, to me that establishes this really is a separate M. Different M. Yeah. yeah. But played by the same actress. Yes, we've we've told the story in the podcast before about how they were going to get a new new person to play M, and then took her to lunch, and she goes, "Oh, when do we start filming then?" Right, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and didn't have the nerve to tell yeah. her. So the, here she is. But yeah. I think that, that this creates like a, we always talk about Bond eras in terms of the men who play Bond, and and rightfully so. But it does challenge us if we think about the Judy Dench era and what that means and what that looks like, and how the franchise has grown, changed, expanded, retracted. Um, I think it's just a different way to view and to analyze the franchise. Um, her apartment is in Prague. It's the same skyline out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so did Bond leave her laptop not quite closed to signal to her that where he He's was going the- next? Yeah, hmm. I think, no, he could, because James, I, uh, I watched this thing the other day. Um, so he closes down all of the, the, the windows, yeah. right? So there's no way that she could know where he's going um, from just the, but the he leaves being it, open. He leaves but it he leaves it to know that, that, that he's, he's, on to, he's on the case. He's not uh, just going on, off on holiday. Um, and in the same, in the same re- reason that he uses her uh, password and um, her you know, encrypted password later on, it's to alert them to the fact that he is doing the investigation it's not it's not just something to be clever it's just, it's his way of you know like he he, he resents the tracker that they give him later on but actually he's letting them know where he is the whole time mm. voluntarily that's, that's far yeah, too clever for me <laughs> 
but again, I think it's an, an action early on to establish who he is as a character, and it shows his commitment to uh, not just queen and country, but his loyalty to Dench's M, right? That he's going to continue to work and, and wants her to have faith in him. And this is a way, in a sense, I mean, you're breaking into her house and she's going to get pissed off at you, but he's also at the same time building trust with her, being like, I know I'm doing all this stuff, but you can still count on me to go out there and get the job done. Uh, yeah, it's, very weird, it's weird there was no establishing London shot yeah. in any of this. Well, there is that shot of the Houses of Parliament earlier on just before. Mm. I think that's, uh, yeah, there is. And that's interesting because it's obviously, uh, they shot that um, corridor But, but we don't know where M is at this point. Yeah. Mm. No. But uh, Calvin, that, um, that corridor sequence where she walks through the meeting room, uh, mm. you know, away from the meeting room, I think that's shot in Prague. Or, it's in the library. Um, oh. It's just the library. Yeah. Right, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, I went So I think, that, I think that's why they... Um, I think that's why they gave it that establishing shot just to kind of really sell that the fact that it was not a foreign location. Here, here's another movie where Bond spots a boat just in passing. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, oh, it's yeah, to the great car. Meanwhile, I was about to say <laughs> here, here this, is go, go. this is the most Flash unloved go. Bond car in the history of the franchise. Um, because after this movie came out, I got a call from someone at the Ian Fleming Foundation. Who made that that car? I've never seen a Ford like that. I said, oh, they make it in Europe. They don't sell it here. How can we get that car? I said, well, I don't know. And then he like pressed me. I said, all right, let me ask. And I eventually put him in touch with someone who would know. But uh, this it, it's not a street legal car. You cannot drive it on any street in the United States, hmm. I presume the UK, anywhere. Because oh. um, I think the body is made of fiberglass. Hmm. I've seen the car. It's it's very flimsy. It's but and that's that's not unusual for movie and TV production. But uh, yeah, it's uh, anyway. Actually, Ford did, did still owns the car. It? They just they just loaned it to the foundation for a long term loan. But Ford still owns the car in case something happens to the foundation. They want to grab it back because with prototypes, the uh, you normally crush them when you're done yeah. with them. So. I do, I do love this bit. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's no, just such I was a, done. But we, 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 we talked about how character kind of uh, is revealed through action. You know, there's a there's a moment here where you're just like, is he really just going to park that guy's car? And then he does this. It's, so, it's such a nice moment. And it also um, leads him to be able to get into the security room. So it's not just right. a... You know, a fuck you to the to the guy. It's like to it's, the, the poor man's goldfinger. Yeah, <laughs> and also just to reinforce Ben's point, I love it the way he tosses the keys off to the distance. He didn't care. I wonder think- if it's a slight reference to to Layer Cake as well with the the Range Rover and some of the things that he does in like you know the way he's kind of quite dismissive in that as well. Sorry, I was wondering, no, no, I was just going to sort of say, you know, do you think that this is the first of, of many suggestions that uh, Bond has more of a, hmm, I know that we find out in later films that he was an orphan and that he was, in this film, we, we hear about he was raised on somebody else's charity. Uh, do you think it is a suggestion that somebody looks at him and thinks that he is not someone who belongs at the place, but he's somebody who works at a place? And then we have the scene of him getting the fitted uh, tuxedo 
tuxedo where Vesper Lynn does teach him how do you fit in and having a tailored suit is how you reflect, you know, high socioeconomic status. It fits you differently and you act differently, that this is part of his learning curve, that people at this point don't like look at him and identify him as being, you know, say upper middle or upper class, but it's something across this film in addition to growing into being a hero, growing into that sort of that class-based status. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Lisa, but I think there's two, two points on that. One, I think it's just that he's wearing a white shirt and standing outside where mm-hmm. the cars have been picked up. So I think there's kind of like that's an understandable kind of, uh, you know, um, as my partner said the other day, it's like the only problem like with that is that, you know, he's white. So, you know, they probably wouldn't have assumed that. Um the second thing is that everything that he's worn so far is perfectly fitted to him. Um, and although, you know, he's, he's in a, a fairly casual suit right now, but, you know, he is, he is dressed impeccably um, and has been dressed impeccably hmm. pretty much throughout. And, and you know, every, everything that – so I, and also I have a real issue with the line, it's tailored because hmm. – you know, fitting a fitting a suit like that, uh, a dinner jacket like that, will take three months. So, <laughs> mm. I think you know, it's kind of, I, I kind of think it's cute what they were doing, but I don't think it really landed particularly well. But I, I do see your point, Lisa. Just on that um, previous scene with the receptionist, I'm curious to actually hear Lisa's perspective on this because in the past, like, you know, receptionists in Bond films, they're always just making eyes at him and they're just complete sex pots, just like undressing him with their eyes. And and, but this exchange here to me feels kind of real. (laughs) Like it's like, oh, she's just seems like a nice person doing a job. And that's quite unusual for the series at this point. Just like Dr. Kaufman. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think that gaze matters. So when Mm. I'm thinking of of that scene where things seem to be a little bit off or different, it shifts into this scene where it is Bond who's the one emerging from the sea in sort of the tight trunks or bathing suit or bikini and being watched on the shore. And and Mm. so like you do have him being presented through the iconography of uh, Honey Rider from Dr. No and not Vesper Lynn being presented in that way. And uh, some have argued, I'm one of those, uh, that it establishes more of a female gaze in the film. And so I feel as though this is a film where some conventions of the Bond film are being sort of deconstructed, reworked, recoded. By the time you get to Spectre, everything's fallen back into place. But I feel them playing and toying um, uh, with them. And I think Bond is represented in a very interesting way in this film. It's it's um, it's why it's a better film. Quick shout out to Mr. M there. Yeah. Um, also, meanwhile, I hope that uh, horse didn't take a dump at the an inconvenient time because horses have a tendency to do that. <laughs> on, a, on a beach, on a beach, no less. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, just, just quickly, and I'm sure it's been pointed out many times before, but every single time that Bond tries to do some surveillance in this film, he is always spotted. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he goes along to. Uh, to the beach house, um, he's the one that's been he's, he's the one that's been seen. Um, he does it later on, at, you know, the Miami Body Works. Um, then at the airport, it's literally every time he tries to be kind of subtle, um, they they know they t- oh, even at the end when um, you know he's, he tracks Vesper, he gets spotted. <laughs> he's, oh, I he's love it. I love this moment with the German tourists. Yeah, Sorry. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I love this guy uh, playing cards between them. Um, mm. You know, he's only you know he does camp extra. He's just great. He's is he Mister Dupont from the novel? Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out. I don't know. I just what do you? Uh, yeah, I just like him. He's just got this great kind of presence in it. Too. What do you think of the shift away from, say, Baccarat, or which I still don't understand how to play, uh, in something like Texas Hold'em being the game of choice? What are your thoughts well, and feelings on that? Well, just real quick about Baccarat. Baccarat is like blackjack, except you've played a nine, and you can only draw one card. Um, and a uh, face card is zero, and then, you know, just the number cards, you know, you try to draw the nine in theory, so... Hmm. It's not that complicated, but there's it's all that stuff with the bank. There's also no I skill involved, the, really. Right. Yeah, I was just about to say this is this is the main reason why I think they they switched over. Yes, it's one one. It's because it was a very popular game at the time, but two, Baccarat really is just um, or Shaman Fair. It's, it's it's essentially just it's high card draw, luck. really. Yeah, right, it's, yeah. and, it's and there luck. was a nut, and there was another reason because in the two thousands there was this re. Um, um, poker revival and there were like poker shows on espn and other channels so it's like it was a big oh, yeah. deal mm-hmm. it's I kind of faded off in the last few years but i mean i remember when the announcement came out texas Holden was going to be the game in the script it was it was a big media story yeah mm. I guess uh, it makes yeah, sense because you have bed. different rounds yeah. of it and everything. You can, you know, it, you can tell a story throughout the game. Um, when I first saw it, I had no idea how to play it or any other card game that Bond has played. But the language of the the shots, the music, it all works. Mm-hmm. So. Well, Michael G. Wilson, find- I'm about to say, Michael G. Wilson did an interview. I said, oh, this is more dramatic, all this stuff. But I mean, Baccarat can be equally dramatic. It just, it might be a little harder mm. to write, but... Mm. Um, the original Mission Impossible TV show had an episode set in a casino, and like part of it was Baccarat, and just you could follow it. It's. You know. Hang on. I just want to point out that if you had a valet ticket for valet parking the car, you wouldn't have a key fob. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good joke, but. Yeah, I yeah that's true. I, I think um, I think one of the things I dislike is the way that they explain the game later to the audience as if and particularly when it's um math is explaining how much money is on the table to one of the greatest accountants um <laughs> england has to offer at the time look i appreciated it not knowing the game i appreciate that that exposition is in there yeah he leans across the he leans across the best friend goes 150 million on the table already and she's like i, I know i'm a i'm an accountant I, my whole job is <laughs> money. Like, yeah. No, I know. I know. It's it's there for the the people at the back of the audience. Just just to just in case you <laughs> yeah. fell asleep. This is what's at stake. Oh. Yeah. But it would be. Would, how much better would it be? Would it have been if if Mathis knew nothing about it and she's explaining it to him, like she's saying right. how much money's on the table? Because it would make sense for somebody who you know works <laughs> is an accountant to go. Right. Oh, this is. This is how much is it? Yes, like, but then, then you wouldn't have the tension between the characters later where he loses, and he was saying he was using it to find his te- his tell, and he has to explain that to her. You wouldn't be able to do that scene. 
By the way, That's this true. is not the Goldfinger car. Sorry. Because he's on the wrong side. It's just, oh, they just switch it. Like, no, you don't just switch the drivers, drive the steering wheel from one side to the other. No, it's, there's like transmission, all that stuff. No. Yeah, it's, it's possible to do it, but it's such a huge undertaking. Yeah, $50,000 if you want to. Yeah. to ask, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. I, I contacted an Aston Martin yeah. dealer and he said, and the first thing the guy said was, why would you do that? I said, well, I'm just asking. And then he said, so I said, how much would it cost? I said, $40,000, $50,000? Like, it's oh, really brilliant. expensive to do. It's just At that on, point, it's you might as well drive it from the back. You might as well put the steering wheel in the back seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the phone. Yeah. Mind you, uh, it's, it's cheaper than buying one of the continuation DV5s, isn't it? Oh, oh definitely. <laughs> Which they're they're still what they sold seven and they're still eighteen to go. By my calculations, it was six and a half. I rounded it up to seven to be kind. <laughs> I really uh, and you're you're you know that's assuming all seven were sold for list price. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this 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 bit here where um, where he says, um, "Can I ask you a personal question?" Uh, I remember just it it just feels like such an awkward thing to say at the moment that you know she is traveling downward uh, on his torso it, it really does it, it really feels kind of I don't know for me it kind of broke the broke well, this, the fourth wall a little bit this scene as filmed was longer yeah and it feels like it was cut in half it was cut in half in the edit um yeah, because there was bits that cut out, probably for the rating as well. But it also um, feels like it's suggesting it's a different type of bond because, you know, I can see Pierce Brosnan being able to, you know, get this information, have sex with the woman and then move on to the next part. Whereas here, Bond, he, he's not even he's not even faking it. He's not even feigning interest that this is what's going on. He just seems to be more of a blunt instrument. He seems to be more focused in on getting the information and that notion mm. of Bond having pleasure or taking pleasure in the this the 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 sex you know, culture of Bond, it's it's missing. And I, I find this to be a very telling scene that things are changing mm-hmm. in the world of of Bond. Connery would and, have had sexual with her twice. Well, and he right? would have slapped and he would have slapped her as well, probably. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Mm. But it's it um, just as a sidebar. Is that what you call it? <laughs> it just sucks that she she pays the consequences for like in the past when the women have slept with with Bond, they pay the consequence for betraying the villain. Whereas I feel I I feel particularly bad for her because I mean it doesn't actually fully happen, and yet she really still pays the the consequences for it. And it opens the question of how do we feel about that. Um, uh, you know, continuing on as being sort of the legacy of of the Bond film. So and uh, another, just... another movie where James Bond actor doesn't actually go to the United States, but the film set yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I watched this the other day. It's interesting how how economical Martin Campbell is with the shots here, because ordinarily, if you're tracking somebody to to Miami in a film, 
you know, you'd see him arrive at the airport, you'd see the shot of the plane landing, all of this kind of stuff. You literally go from one vehicle to another. Um, and suddenly here we are in Miami and I think it's, mm. uh, you know, and it, and it moves you along at a clip and if you're not paying attention, you might not realize that happens. Um, yeah. It also doesn't but, help that they're in a museum in Prague at this point, but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, going back yeah. to what you were saying, Lisa, about Solange, I think she does make a big impression for the limited times she's on screen. Um, well, and in fact, and if you were to, if you were to um, like names, you know, if you would like picture a Bond girl from the Craig era, I mean, she's in that kind of like, hmm. I was about to say, it, at the 2006 Paris Motor Show, uh, the actress who played Solange was part of the main Ford media event of the day, because I was there. And uh, I mentioned... She did a lot of promo work after this film came out for years, including the DVD releases and stuff. So yeah. he's just been, spot- he's been spotted again. Um, <laughs> you know, just like, he's not very good at spying um, at all. He's been spotted. He's again. like, the guy's like got a knife um, in his back. <laughs> I, I have a I have a question, and it's who the hell goes to these body worlds exhibits? I, I Ooh, wouldn't go. I've been three times oh, in okay. Las Vegas, <laughs> in Berlin, and London, yeah, and they are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, but, uh, <laughs> they're really I, I mean, great. I the, have... one in, at the one in London, you can see the the three guys playing poker. I believe that that piece was made specifically for this film, and the rest are just kind of yeah, your regular exhibits. I have didn't uh, you, didn't you own a commander from controversy? Uh, oh, because they didn't, you know, yeah, the places where he sourced the bodies might have been right. somewhat mm-hmm. respect. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I got I got paid fairly for them. Um, and, <laughs> um, you know how I how I found them for him. I think you know we don't need to go into it too deeply. Um, <laughs> Needless to say, some people got uh, an urn full of flour, and some people did. Um, <laughs> some chimney soot. Some chimney soot. I uh, look. Th- this is quite clever. The way he's basically like doing his best in a in a bad situation because he really genuinely nearly lost this guy. Mm. Um, and I think it was you know again it it, it speaks to, to to Bond's kind of uh, ingenuity to think, oh, yeah, I'll just call the last number. Um, Which he uses against uh, Elvis in the following film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's still the rough diamond, a phrase used with Connery when he was cast, but, yes, very much the rough diamond here. Somewhere I'm I'm, I'm walking around Prague Airport on this day when they're filming this. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never bothered to look, but... Huh. Okay, yeah. Spot James. Yeah. It's a surprise if we spot you. <laughs> are I you, love, uh, I... are, James, are you there in like an over the shoulder, out of focus sort of way? Or are you in focus? <laughs> no, I've never really done it. I, 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 I would have seen myself if I was there, but we, I was there on the day they were sh- shooting. Because uh, I know, because I, I know someone so who was like, says he was in Diamonds Are Forever in that over the shoulder, out of focus <laughs> way. He showed so, me. Like, um, okay. Of course, Bond we were uh, other MI6 just... compadres were um, on set on the on the the, the day that they uh, shot the um, car chase and with the tanker and stuff, shaking the boots of the police cars so they looked like the plane was going over. <laughs> <laughs> so Bond got got spotted again, 
Um, <laughs> Again, yes. <laughs> I never noticed this before. You're right. So every single time that he tries to find somebody, um, yeah, he gets he gets he gets picked up on. But um, I just thought I'd mention that every time that it happens, he needs um, to go to spy school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The most striking blue eyes. You catch that guy, and that's probably Bond. Yeah, and I think this guy is up there in the instant creep factor, along with the guy that kills Sharky and Lessons to Kill. Like, <laughs> this instant dislike for this human. Yeah, uh, hmm. yeah he's, um, he's, got, he's doing that kind of Terminator kind of uh, school of acting, isn't it? Just, like, just plowing through it. Um, it's a shame with T- Tobias Menzies. I mean, I, I, I understand that he did uh, to kind of come back and do some work for Secret Cinema, uh, Casino Royale, but in a way, um, he's a great actor. And it's sort of a yeah. shame that he didn't come back to. Uh, some, do more something with Bond. happened. Something happened because he did an interview we put on the website where he said, Yeah, I'm not going to be coming back. Right? So clearly there's a story there. And yeah. then. For some reason, didn't they kill him off in the Quantum of Solace video game? Did they? Is that right? Yeah. I don't remember that. Oh, I'm gonna have to go back. <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think it's on screen, but he's listed as like former something something. Oh, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, like they wrote him out of the canon. That's interesting. <laughs> I need to go back to that now. Do you think that they're um, they're sitting in an ante room outside, kind of the HR uh, department? It's him and Carter going. <laughs> Why have they called us oh, down God. here? I <laughs> don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do like this. This is, you know, considering, as James says, none of this is, is shot in the States. They do a very good uh, job of, of selling it. And, you know, you don't, you don't for a minute think it's, a, you know, a small airport, do you? So two consecutive films with Bond walking through corridors and sprinklers. Oh, yeah. But I do like seeing the amount of security just because, you know, Bond does seem to travel and cross borders and travel through airports quite quickly. We never actually see him really going through that process. And so one thing I do appreciate is that there is security and that, you know, that there are different sort of levels and that ties into, you know, the complexity of this plot and the difficulty relative difficulty of Bond being able to pursue this man when, you know, this guy's in a uniform and he's not. So this plane coming out of the warehouse, all the people are CGI'd into a model shot. Yeah. yeah. It's really impressive. Uh, I think it's kind of noticeable actually when you know, but yeah. looks good. you really can't tell if you don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the um, reasons that no time to die so long, uh, Lisa, is that there's a half hour sequence of Bond queuing to go through uh, airport security power. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Martin Campbell, bye bye. Really? He's not actually him, is yeah. he? Is yeah. it actually? I did not know yeah. that. Oh. That's amazing. Because uh, I, I always thought it was, and then I, I could have sworn that it wasn't. Uh, but it just looks exactly like him. And you know what I discovered after we recorded the Diamonds of Forever podcast? It was Guy Hamilton holding the urn that hits Bond on the back of the head <gasps> in the mausoleum. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, there you oh, go. There. And in case you weren't sure. <laughs> and here's the um, uh, Boeing 737 MAX ready to go off on a uh, <laughs> <ill-fated>. bad <laughs> <laughs> ill-fated test flight. 
<laughs> like if only Lashif had like done nothing, he would have like he would have cashed in anyway. <laughs> well, no, this is, but this is this isn't Boeing. This is Skyfleet. And, I know. You know they I have know. a whole I, different like. You know, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But just <laughs> it's kind of like I know. I went to the uh, first take the the first test flight takeoff of the Dreamliner because it was close to where oh. I lived, and uh, yeah. I was thinking about this sequence the whole time. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is if some shit's going to go down, it's today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I do, I do like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is a really great movie. Um, and this, <laughs> this sequence where Indy's trying to get the uh, the Ark back from the Germans is <laughs> really well done. Um, oh no, it's not. Is it? We're watching somewhere else. Sorry. I, I well, they also they also cut they also film stuff which didn't make it. Um, like the tanker going through the body of a plane was taken out of the film with all yeah, the luggage going it might have, it might have caught fire um right unlike you know the a million times it gets shot or you know all the sparks off the the rest of things um this is this is uh the opposite to explodium and i just think that <laughs> no, i don't think there is another there is another film where a, a vehicle takes this much damage and doesn't blow up was it anti explodium? Yeah, anti explodium. Was Craig running a four minute mile there? Just curious. Yeah. Well, can we talk about running? Because, you know, Tom Cruise is a great cinematic runner. I actually think Pierce Brosnan yeah. is a good cinematic runner. What do we think about Daniel Craig? Because he does a lot of running, a lot of climbing. He's a he's a bond who like whose body is in motion, which I think the body works exhibit really taps yeah. into the central like the importance of Bond's body to mission success. So what do you think about him being a runner? I was actually thinking somebody should do a YouTube video with like split screen of uh, Rosalind and Craig running on you know yeah. opposite sides of the screen. Hmm. Yeah, top ten scenes of James Bond running. I think there you I've go. Got, uh, yeah, next yeah. video planned. <laughs> I like that. I have the feeling I Roger think- Moore might come in last, but that's just <laughs> a, that's just a guess. I like okay. Roger Moore. I just want to say that. Just um, I think that. Um, He's he's certainly to, to this point the most sort of physical bond uh, that we've we've seen, and and as you say, Lisa, you know, mission critical uh, stuff is is because of his physicality. Isn't uh, that Alexander Witt driving, piloting the plane? Oh, second unit director. Yeah. Again, CGIing out the um, you know the the, the, the cables there um, really sells that you know, bungee uh, cords or something. That shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think that his, you know, he's he doesn't look like a runner, and that's I think the the, the unfortunate thing is that his his physicality looks like he's somebody who spends a lot of time in the gym rather than somebody yeah. who, um, you know, is active. Um, mm. And it's interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I think, it, I think he went got, too far in bulking up. Uh, I, I I agree. Yeah, I, I I personally do. And Fleming's description of Bond is always. It's been fit but slim. Um, you know, he's never been a bulky guy. But what is interesting is that you know when when we when we heard about um, you know how how people responded to his physicality in this film, and then in subsequent years we've had uh, people like Chris Pratt bulking up for Star Lord or um, Chris Evans bulking up for Captain America. 
um, in comparison, you know, his his physicality isn't isn't um, that much bigger than those guys. Um, so I think it was just one of the first kind of times that we'd seen an action hero. That's why is this truck not blowing up? It does say flammable on the front. (laughs) Severe false advertising. Eyes, eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then the guy and then, and then Carlos, right, is is standing about fifteen feet away. He's 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 going to blow up a fucking airliner, and he's like. About twenty feet safe distance. That's all right. <laughs> oh well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I there mean, like uh, License Kill had something similar. Where? Yeah. There he is. He's, he's ten feet away from the plane. He'll be alive. <laughs> what, what would have been I really think... nice if buckets of blood had just like landed? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But you raise a good point about like, you know, there is blood. There is there's 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 bruising that's happening. But I think, you know, Daniel Craig's bond, and especially in this film, is the most battered, bloodied, and bruised bond out of them all. His body just gets torn up. And for me, I like seeing cinematic realism. I like seeing that there are wounds. And this is a film that's constantly focusing in on this body being traumatized and recovering and keep going. You know, he dies and he keeps going. He's like that energizer bunny. But I like the mm-hmm. fact that we see his body just you know being torn up and actually you know having bruises and cuts and scratches and him trying to recover all of that gives it a sense of realism that is missing from some of the earlier films where bond goes through a lot of stuff and yet you know he doesn't even he when he's fighting in the glass uh uh, place in in oh moonraker and like nobody's got a scratch on them right so Mm. i i think that this is an interesting shift in fairness, Lisa, um, there is no cue in this movie to tell him to not bleed. So that is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah. After oh, this, after this, to... cue says you should really. Yeah. Uh, um. But basically, this is where the the second half of the movie starts now. So this, I've always yes, said, I, right? We're going to um, we're going to start sure seeing around now at fifty five minutes into the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, but also, I've always can said I just that it's, something it's, real it's, quick? It's two movies for the price of one. Yeah. I just want to say so. When it came to um, when Craig's casting was announced in 2005, Michael G. Wilson gave an interview to the New York Times, and he said the following, we are running out of energy, mental energy, Mr. Wilson recalled, saying- Already? Yeah. Back then? (laughs) Back then, yeah. We need to generate something new for ourselves. So in the broader context, so like- um, Michael Wilson and Barbara Broccoli's mother passed away in 2004. And so this is the first film where they were truly on their own without you know, any parental guidance. And they decided to make major changes. So in that regard, this is one reason why I think this is a big difference um, in the series. And some, and I point that out, and some people say, "Oh, that's like that doesn't mean what you think it means." I take 
Wilson and his word, I think it means exactly what he means. They were looking to make a change, and yeah. this movie is the beginning of that change. Yeah. Oh, ben, you, you were saying that it's it's really uh, two movies in one, which I, which I don't disagree with uh, at all. But I, I think um, even though it's different, that parallels the novel very closely because uh, I always see that as uh, two novellas which are, are back-to-back and they feature the same characters and you, you get the bond on on his mission, but then uh, it's almost it, it's almost exactly halfway through the book uh, when he he's achieved uh, his mission goals, and, yeah. and the rest of it is him recovering yeah. and then going off with Vesper. And so uh, I, I I think the the structure is quite similar in that respect. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. I, I, but I mean, in terms of what we've got of Fleming's novel, it really starts from here. And I think if we'd have just had a new Bond without any of this action or, or and as we discussed earlier, saying how how his character is revealed through that action, and if we hadn't have had a, a basic kind of... Because let's face it, otherwise this movie is about a guy who's playing cards against somebody else. So it's almost like they said, well, let's give them a Bond movie as well as this card movie. Um, so I think you do get, you kind of do get two films for the price of one. You get a kind of a generic Bond action movie. And most of the, most of the kind of the second half of this film is not suspense necessarily. I mean, it is punctuated with, with a few action sequences, but most of this is now um, pretty much what Fleming was writing and, um, and I do like I do like the fact that they do that. But here we are; we're an hour into the movie, and we're just seeing Vesper for the first time. Hmm. Well, worth and, pointing out: not cast until filming began, a month yeah. in actually, yeah. a month in. Um, so here's my little seeg into the usual stuff. So uh, actress is up for the role. Uh, Tandy Newton confirmed this week that she screen tested and didn't mm. get the role. Obviously, mm. I think that would have been great. Tandy Newton's a great Whoa. actress. Yeah. Um, other ones. Like, um, sorry, man. Tandy, like, Tandy likes my shoes. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Australian actress Kimberly Davis, who people know for who played Annalise in Neighbours back in the day, um, and was also voiced um, the character in Nightfire. Uh, oh, help me out, Laura McCall. Yeah, Australian yeah. intelligence. Yeah, well, same actress. <laughs> 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 um, and of course, the one that everybody knows, I think, is Rachel Sterling, who was um, Diana Rigg's daughter. Hmm. She was the fine one of the finalists for the role. Hmm, interesting. Also think, in the detect, if the detectorists, if you like that show, she's in that. I do think that um, Eva Green With is just pretty wonderful in this, though. Um, and you know, like the the, the chemistry between um, Craig and uh, Marino earlier on, um, you know, isn't, it isn't quite as powerful as it is between, um, you know, him and Green. They're both, uh, they're both really sparking off each other here, which is really, really wonderful. Mm. Um, I watched this again, as I say, a couple of days ago. Um, and it's the, it's the first time I watched it where the, uh, the, the watch product placement didn't stab me in the gut. Um, 
it actually sort of seemed to be an okay kind of thing to to say because she doesn't actually see what it is and she's guessing. So. Mm. Uh, um, can I ask something about um, the, a minutiae aspect of this scene? I'm aware it's fantastically written, acted, all the chemistry is really good. Was this built on some kind of rig to get them swaying just ever so slightly yeah. as if they are in a train? Yeah, and it was green screened as well for the window, and they shot mm. um, plate. They shot plates separately. Yeah, I, 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 I just remember where they shot plates. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, they built the carriage. Um, mm. Yeah, James's James's oh, buddies. James's buddies were outside just rocking it. <laughs> gently, <laughs> gently pushing it. Yeah. Can I say something about, you know, uh, thus Berlin and, and, and the way that she's embodied by Eva Green? I'll, I can tell you that my students gravitate towards uh, two women in the franchise. One of them is um, Tracy DiVincenzo and the other one is Vesper Lind. And by the mm. time we get to Casino Royale, they all rave about this character because they feel as though she's actually presented as a fully formed, uh, multifaceted character with her own character arc. Um, and I think that she is, I, I, I'm a big fan of Eva Green and I think that she is perfectly portrayed. There's subtlety, there's nuance, I buy into and believe everything about their chemistry together, but also about her internal emotional life. And that's something when I advocate for women as characters in films, they don't all have to be the same. I love diversity. I like difference. I like villains. I love villains, actually. Um, but what we want to see and what so many of us are asking for are fully fledged, uh, fully thought out characters. And I think they really hit it out of the park. Um between the casting, uh, the script writing, the adaptation from the novel, I think putting it all together, um, Vesper Lynn really does stand out to most fans, including my students, as being sort of one of the top women of the franchise. When they think of Bond women, they think of Eva Green as, as Vesper Lynn. And, but just one other point, I love this conversation of them uh, between them in the car and right. it's on the Bond girl stereotype where he says, you know, her cover name is going to be Tiffany Broadchest and she totally yeah. rejects it. And mm. I love that idea because it really presents the notion of like breaking down the Bond girl archetype and bringing in women um, who are sort of uh, more multifaceted. And, and, and if you break down this, the archetype, there's more flexibility and fluidity for them to have, you know, their own character lives and own character arcs. So that's my that's my Vesperlin rant. Mm. One yeah. other thing about the script is that. Um, uh, from the very start, in the stage directions and the dialogue says Bond, but in this script says Bond through most of the way. But then suddenly, like well into the script, it suddenly says James. That's right. Yeah. Yes. All in the same scripts. Yeah. And so it's like, is that a Paul Haggis thing? I don't know. But, uh, but I always it, wondered why in this scene Bond looks a little sweaty. Uh, he also no. looks a bit dark as well. It's like it's almost like he's got fake tan on. Um, but anyway, just Haggis came in towards the end to rewrite, and he apparently wrote most of the train sequence, right? Right. Apparently, I mean, he purposely weighed, hold the hands up, and said that was all Paul Haggis. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the uh, ripple effects of having the right. I think a lot of the Paul Haggis stuff says James instead of Bond. Um, but that's just a theory. Um, um, to, to Lisa's to Lisa saying about Stephanie Broadchest, um, when you watch the film, obviously you just think he might be joking, you know, like he might be just giving her a bit of a bit of a ribbing. Um, but they actually made a prop 
uh, passport, which says um, Stephanie Fortune. <laughs> so uh, that is actually what, what MI6 came up with as her cover name. Villiers is, is having a chuckle. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's, that's why they got rid of Villiers. Yeah, the cover stories you're coming up with are, are not convincing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, talking of talking of quickly talking of cover stories just while well, well, Bond's going to go out and play with his his car, um, and I'm I'm sure Bill will will come in and have a few words about it in a second. But uh, Arlington Beach, Mister Bliss, isn't that all a bit convoluted? Bond, Bliss, yeah. Beach. What well, I mean, I know that they filmed some stuff, or it certainly was in the script. Um, well. It does feel very clunky, doesn't it? Or is that yeah. just me? Yeah, and one of the th- talking about things that they film that they cut out. One of the things I wanted to mention, where the the, the quote unquote Q scene where he gets his little tracker, there's a whole walk and talk with M, where M talks about the background of the Shifra and and Saddam Hussein after the Iraq War and all that kind of stuff, and they obviously took it all out in retrospect because it was like, yeah, tying it to real world politics, probably not the best choice. Mm. <laughs> And I think you but, can see uh, some of yeah. it in the do- in the documentary or the one of the one of the features. You can hear it in the background, bit of it. Mm. I just yeah, it's just interesting that um, you know I, I thought that what Bond was supposed to be doing on the train was I think, and it, it might bleed into into the game. I don't know. I never I never played it, but um, wasn't there something about how he had to eliminate um, Beach? Um, to, to to take his identity, or that he was he was blown in some regard. There was a I, I understood there was a whole kind of sequence where um, where Arlington mm. Beach was kind of more of a a figure. Maybe I'm wrong. I was about to say we're about we have met uh, Mathis, and we're about to have what I consider one of the worst Michael G. Wilson cameos. Mm-hmm. You said that last like- week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I said one because I think last week was weird. But in this case, he doesn't have a line. But it's like there should be like a um, oh, it's a, if it were a Warner Brothers cartoon, there'd be a neon sign, Michael G. Wilson cameo. It's, just, it's, so, it's so obvious, and it's just like yeah. you know, Michael G. Well, Wilson it's not, cameo. It's should, not. A, should be it's like him reading a newspaper. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. he's a well, character. My, my, problem, my problem is it takes you out of a scene that's developing yeah. the character Mattis. It actually exactly. builds up how Bond introduces himself for the rest of his life. There's like yeah. a lot of stuff going on in here, and it's just like joke about Photoshop, Michael G. Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Mattis is uh, so. I mean, they they really they really picked up the the right actor for 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 this. He's he's so incredibly lovely. Yeah, he's fantastic. Really good. He's, yeah. he's very sympathetic, and um, well, we'll talk about closer to the end. But like, and which makes it in Quantum of Solace, he should be one of the saddest uh, sacrificial lambs. But it was bungled the way they did it. But anyway, my um, I, I find that this sorry to interrupt, guys. I find this scene to be very um, no coward esque. You know, this hmm. this sort of seems to be kind of like, especially like her little, the way that she looks, the moment that she's smiling at him when he's in the room, and then the moment he leaves, she just her expression just drops. Uh, always makes me laugh. Hmm. Um, I 
I don't like this thing, as I mentioned earlier, I don't like this thing about it being tailored because there's just literally no way you could do that. That's just ridiculous. I, um, I, I got a suit tailored in Hong Kong in like two this. days. Can, can, yeah, I, can I just throw out this? And I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to be on the, I don't want to get accused of being on the woke brigade or something. But can I just point out, their colleagues, they met earlier in the day. He's walking into a bathroom where she's wearing a frigging robe. Just hold yeah. it out there. Uh-huh. Uh, James, yeah. James, I hate to say this, you've already been accused of being woke on Twitter. But I, know. <laughs> I do, I do like the fact I, I that she just laughs, that. At, just laughs at him. <laughs> he's doing this whole kind of boom, 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 boom thing. You know, he's like being all James Bond, and she's just standing there, just like laughing her ass off at him, <laughs> which I think is, I think is great. Yeah. Um, and he does walk well, you know, uh, for for a stocky plumber. He's got, uh, <laughs> good, he's, got good, he's got good swagger. So what do you yeah. think? And I, I posted this on my Instagram and I was interested by the responses uh, and it had pictures of all of the bonds and tuxedos. And I know some people really love Daniel Craig in, in his tuxedo and some people find that his his tuxedos and suits are a little bit too tight um, as, 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 the, ser- as the, the, the series goes on. So I'm just wondering where you think he fits in terms of his image of being sort of the man walking into the casino do you think that he wears it well do you think um that he that he doesn't sort of fit it because his body is quite quite muscular what are your thoughts we have we have a different costume designer on this film and we you know in in lindy henning and we and we have brioni doing the suits rather than tom ford um so i feel like the suits in in this fit him more classically um, and they are more kind of classically Italian tailoring rather than British tailoring. Um, but they are also quite contemporary. As we move forward through the, through the films and we get into Tom Ford doing the, doing the suiting, uh, the shift is, you know, in just in cut is, is, is relatively noticeable. Uh, but also Jenny Tamimi uh, said that she wanted the suits to be like skin tight like a like a second skin um and so that was a deliberate decision another thing to remember is that when you get fitted for a suit it's over a period of time and they do several measurements if you're bulking up for a role which he has you know prior to kind of filming he'll be bulking up he will change physically in that time so um, I sort of feel like to that yeah, to that on. to that Ben. There was there were stories in the press after a month in filming in Prague that the cast members were also changing in shape because of the food. <laughs> the public being very being very stodgy. Um, Lisa, I we I'm sure we'll get round to Spectre at some point, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it then. But uh, I remember um, interviewing. Um, oh God, what's the name? Um, Madeline uh, Swan um, and I said you know God is there any is there any anecdotes that you can remember any any abiding memories from the set and she said yeah when when Daniel was doing the escape sequence from uh, Spectre's lair you know Bloodfeld's lair uh, his uh, his pants split um, hmm. so so I've always got an abiding memory of just um <laughs> yeah, I watch that film now. Just him walking around with like a big split down his 
Um, <laughs> so, that, you know, um, so I, you know, but to your point, I think he looks great in a dinner jacket. I think he looks, yeah, he looks very comfortable in it. Um, I think it suits him well. Uh, I think other actors, Pierce Brosnan's got great, great physique and posture, and he looks great in, in all of his clothes. But I don't think Craig doesn't look right in it. But that's my take on it. Um, so this is a mirror of the scene with Solange and Demetrius yeah. earlier in the film. Just a quick word on on Le Chief's tell. Like, oh my god, how like this guy is supposed to be one of the best poker players in the world. Um, you know, he's 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 confident enough to set this up, believing that he would win, and he has perhaps the most obvious tell. Which it, he it, then bluffs it, though, doesn't he? So, yeah. is it a tell if you can't tell if he's for real? Mm. Well, it's just that everybody else there is crap at poker, though, Ben. <laughs> well, Jeff, Jeffrey Wright is certainly like, okay, so Jeff, is Jeffrey Wright there because he's the best um, card player in the CIA? Because every expression that he makes telegraphs exactly what's in his hand. You know, <laughs> he's, I've never seen a more grumpy poker player. Literally just sits there going, oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> um, so I don't I, – I'm not surprised he's, uh, he's bleeding chips. Hmm. You've never seen me play poker then. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Or me. So, over, would you? In fact, uh, with me playing poker, it's like I rambled uh, Brosnan with a pain face. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that's a joke. Go ahead, Ben. So this whole this whole Vespa stuff, um, you know, is taken obviously directly from the novel. Uh, for those of you who've uh, not read it, um, well, it's quite not a bit exactly. of dialogue. We don't we don't get the the cane gun. No, I meant the 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 ordering of the drink. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. It's okay. it's almost it's it's almost verbatim. Um, can we not, can we do a Jay, can we do a James Bond and Friends ADR of this scene for Go Fish? Have you got any twos? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go Fish. <laughs> I do like this like this bit of dialogue, which you know, her oddly my character's feelings mirror my own. Um, <laughs> that, that that got a good laugh in the uh, in the cinema, if I remember. Um, what a roller coaster of a relationship in 48 hours i mean they met each other psychologically deconstructed each other argued got pissed off <laughs> went into the bathroom and dressed basically visually addressed each other and now it's just yeah it's a bit up and down isn't it in the beginning by the way there are the series of animated cartoons how it should have ended so they did how it should have casino royale ended and it's like M tells Bond the plan. He says, why don't you just arrest him? What? <laughs> and she, she spasses out. And it's like, no, just arrest him. And like, okay, all right, fine, Bond. We'll arrest him. And they arrest him and take him off in the paddy wagon. Well, yeah, they know where he is. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not difficult, is it? I mean, 
you know, it might be extreme rendition, but it would it would still do the job and say most of that series of cartoons are done about superheroes. But like, I appreciate the Bond one. Can I can I just go back to like that Vesper relationship with Bond and Neo? So he orders a drink that she's never heard of. Um, they argue. He leaves. She takes a sip, likes it. Oh, he mustn't be that bad. <laughs> look at her face. Like, oh, I like this guy now because he orders a good drink. Oh, is <laughs> I think the way sure. you read this is they're instantly attracted to uh, instantly attracted to each other when they first meet, and you know they're both they've got their their armor on, as they say. Mm-hmm. Well, the other the other dimension to that is obviously that she is that her her mission, her agenda in this is to make sure that he doesn't win. Um. So there there is right there is that aspect to it as well. So she's she's fighting against what maybe that she morally wants or even emotionally wants, but she's also kind of. In the back of her mind, she's always got that that knowledge that yeah. um, whatever her boyfriend's name is is um, who's sleeping with the Canadian intelligence chick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Lisa. The floor is yours about this. About this scene. Mm. Oh. I'll go make a coffee. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what you're you're necessarily asking me, but you know, I think that they make an interesting villainous couple, but it's definitely a one-sided relationship. Where yeah, that's what I was aiming. Okay, that's okay. what I was kind of leading to. I was like, because, is, you know, are, you, are you leading me into this? But I, I no, because yeah. Diamonds Are Forever, we talked about like the the couple as the you know the yeah. henchman. Which you could argue this is similar in a little way, a heterosexual version of it, right? But um, in Winton Kid, you actually like they both genuinely, you know, have affection for each other. Whereas here, I think is um, oh, she's, is her character. She's, she's, she's more trash arm candy, isn't she? That's all right. And I think they yeah. do an interesting job of not only showcasing this moment where he doesn't care if he cuts off her arm with the way that Bond takes care of Vesperlin in the stairway, watching her as she's moving down the stairs and caring about her emotional welfare um, after all of it's done. And, and in my opinion, one of the best sort of Bond scenes is the two of them sort of sitting in, in the shower together um, and yes. the way that he cares for her. But here you see absolutely nothing. And this reminds me more of the way that Zoran and Mayday have their relationship where Mayday is certainly in love with Zoran and is there and will do his bidding and buys into it. The difference here is that Valenka is silent. She doesn't tell us who she is, you know, what her motivations are. She simply, we can see through her actions that she does it for Le Chiffre, but she doesn't have any sort of character life. Um, and, oh. and I guess, you know, I, I hate the idea that we do have Vesper Lynn, who's fully fleshed out, and we have another woman in the film, but she is not being given any sort of depth and 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 and, and not given oh. her own character arc. And I have an issue with that. Like, we can have more than one fully fledged woman in a film um mm-hmm. and and i i feel as though they fall short in terms of her representation I, as literally I, I being agree. a function of le chiffre wouldn't yeah. it be nice to have have a little bit more more of a valenka or a little bit more of a, of a reveal oh, considering she's successfully at killing bond yes. you know, yeah you know i i again bond spying <laughs> fails <laughs> um. ah, yeah, yeah. I noticed any of this before, but you're totally right. <laughs> he didn't even have to put his finger in his ear to get spied that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But but literally, the only time that he doesn't kind of get caught spying is because Carter gets caught spying first. Um, but the rest, <laughs> but, but the rest of the time, he he's just absolutely useless at it. I love this fight, by the way. I just think this is so good. Uh, so well done so well choreographed when you see on the big screen I, I, I don't know about you but you almost feel it yeah and by the way, I, I'm looking at the windows, and that just reminds me when you mentioned Valenka before. The window and the way that the yellow is working kind of looks like Valenka's dress. And so mm-hmm. just seeing sort of the tones of the yellow really helps to sort of connect that image of before of Le Chiffre not caring about Valenka versus, you know, Bond taking a little bit more more care. What is yellow? Is yellow fear on the sort of spectrum of color emotions? I think yellow's fear, isn't it? Fear. Oh, and cowardice. Uh, oh, yeah. okay. um, sorry, I was just doing the, the um, spaced painting. But, you know, here, Vesper basically <laughs> saves Bond's life, too. Yeah, mm. yeah she does. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, Abana uh, is a genuine kind of threat to Bond. I mean... Yeah. If, if, if Tamahori would have directed this, we'd have been cutting back to the other hotel room with Belenka um, <laughs> making a cup of tea for the chef. <laughs> <laughs> um, By the way, there is a longer term for it. Yes. Yellow is the uh, color of fear. Hmm. Yellow bellied and all the rest I looked of it. it up while we were talking about it. So. Um, there's, there's, um, this there's, is, this there's is a great scene. Yeah, it is. Mm. Uh, it also again, reminds me a lot of Lair Cake scene. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's very. But yeah. this is this is Bond. Where, and it just and it just it just it just cuts to him like, okay, I'm over it. I'm moving this, this, on this now. Is, this is Bond from the novels, and I think it most reminds me of Live and Let Die. After um, I, I, it's probably after he gets back to his hotel after he first meets Mr. Big and he gets, he gets roughed up and uh, broken finger and stuff and he gets back and cleans up and he has a glass of whiskey and uses that to kind of uh, sort himself out and it, it kind of well, really gives me a, a Fleming That's how I feel after a day of Zoom meetings. David, it's interesting that you should say that Live and Let Die, the novel, because I think it's his escape in Live and Let Die that is mirrored in that um, uh, stairway fight scene. Where he, yes, where he yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd, never, I'd never thought about that, but yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, so that, that the death of that uh, Obama's lieutenant uh, or lieutenant is exactly um, kind of how the death of one of the, one of the people in um, Living Let Die, the novel. Um, this... This should be cranking up more tension and fear than it is. You know, you see this broken glass, and you and you should be kind of thinking. Yeah, What's you know, you, it's funny you should say that. But I always, because you know, we'd read the script and stuff, mm. and, and I knew you know, there wasn't a threat here. I just took it as like she stress had cracked her at that point, right? Mm. But to the audience that hadn't known the story, yeah, what if somebody was in the room waiting for him? I mean, it's like it's not, yeah. it's not they played that way. No, it isn't, and it and it kind of feels like it. They half they made a half attempt to do it and then they kind of backed out on it. Um, and they cut the toilet out of this scene. They did. They did because of the test audiences. <laughs> uh, it is still in the like so when they when they pull back 
um, from it, you do you do see a little bit of it, but the original cut was left uh, left a little longer on the toilet. <laughs> so this was originally scripted as Vespa was naked in the shower. And I think it works better this way. Yeah, mm. yeah totally. I did. I did. And can, can we talk about the soundtrack? Because this film has a Vesper theme and Vesper yeah, so- is the first non-villain because Electra King gets her own theme and villains do get their own musical themes in Bond films. Um, but she's sort of the first woman to have, you know, um, a, a very definitive theme that not only defines her in this film, but it's a theme that makes its way into Quantum of Solace to, to talk about about and and to represent Bond's longing and yearning for her. And I think musically, they do a really good job here of just sort of telling us the audience, in addition to the emotions that the actors are are putting forward, what we're supposed to be feeling. And the song itself is very, it, it's, melo- it's melodic, but it's also very sad in terms of mm-hmm. its melody. And it's, it tells us, or at least it, it anticipates sort of the tragic demise of their relationship. Mm. Can you imagine that scene then in, in the outtakes if Craig, after that one take, like stood up and did a shit-eating grin to the camera? <laughs> it for you, it? <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> his fingers. It's um, uh, the first reference to how uh, Bond had affairs with married women in mm. the films. Like, yes. it's got mentioned in novels multiple times, but uh, yes. Um, yeah. My point bringing I, I, that up is like this is how Bond changes from the guy he was to the guy he's going to be, but yeah. um, but the films until now, until this one, avoided that whole you know subject, and here it is. Except if it was the villain's mistress girlfriend, right? And, and and also in the man with the golden gun, there was like this vague uh, reference about uh, jealous husband yes. <laughs> chewing him out. But other than that, like a, a couple references um, in this film, they like went at it full bore uh, about how Bond routinely had affairs with married women. Yeah. Uh. So we're back at the table. Um, I believe, uh, uh, ev- you know, everyone is supposed to obviously be wealthy enough to um, buy in at, you know, $10 million. Um, and it's interesting to kind of think, like, you know, they're not, they don't lean too heavily into stereotypes, but they were definitely kind of like, you, you've kind of got the sense that, that you've got a rapper or you've got a, uh, you know, uh, a Japanese businessman, or you know, you know, there are there are stereotypes on display right. here, but, but if, not if, it's a, if it was a real ten million dollar buying poker, t- it'd be a bunch of fat guys wearing baseball caps. You've watched ESPN after dark. This, that's all it is. Hmm. Can I ask a question? Uh, yeah. Anybody? I know that we we brought up uh, Jeffrey Wright playing uh, Felix Leiter. Any thoughts on on him and his portrayal of the character beyond the poker table? Uh, it's very solid, I would say. Um, in the with Bond films, um, people of color get substituted for um, white characters with like Felix 
starting with uh, Never Say Never Again, and then like here with um, Casino Royale, and then later with Money Penny in um, Skyfall. So the franchise, and of course, Never Say Never Again is not part of the franchise. So they like dip their toes in it with the uh, secondary characters, but not mm-hmm. with Bond, obviously. So that's my main observation. My my feeling is this: um, being quite a big fan of Felix Leiter from the novels, um, he's always supposed to be a jovial, uh, maybe slightly um, slightly avuncular um, character, but certainly a, a comedic one. Uh, particularly in in the novel Live and Let Die, you know where he is. Um, Oh, sorry. No, in, in Diamonds of Forever, where you know he his his um, his reaction to to his injuries is is very positive. He's very upbeat, um, and in Casino Royale, the, the novel, he is also you know a funny. He's 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 a he's a funny guy, um, whereas Bond is kind of more stoic. Um, Jeffrey is a fantastic. Jeffrey Wright is a fantastic actor and also a really human being um but i feel like he plays felix very dry and very stoic um so i wasn't a huge fan of his betrayal but i was very happy that they cast him hmm. yeah, well, I, 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 kind of li- I like what? him uh Go I, ahead, David. no he, as you said ben he, he's very very different from the character in, in novels but you know there's been a a lack of continuity with Felix throughout the whole film series and uh, um, that's one positive that they have brought him back but I I did like him in Casino Royale despite the fact he's nothing like the the, uh, character from the books I was just going to say going back to pre-Eon to the very first Jack Whittingham draft of what would become Thunderball, Whittingham like tried to uh, tried to have Felix do more and make a bigger part for him, and even Maybaum in his very first draft for Thunderball in 1961, before the you know before Connery was cast and etc., he did the same thing. Right, screenwriters have for year for decades have like tried to have Felix be a bigger part of the process but it just never worked out and um anyway that's that that's the main thing um obviously screenwriters have find a have found a lot of appealing characteristics for felix but you don't really get that in the finished product if you look at the script for this film though and you imagine can you imagine a six foot two texan right playing mm-hmm. felix like yeah. does it look like we need the money would be played completely differently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the the same script so how much of it is jeffrey wright and how much of it is martin campbell as the director there is a conceit among actors any actor can like play any role but like sydney pollock who started as an actor said that's crap and like he said this on a he for a year he was like the host of this tcm show called the essentials and he was introducing a movie with uh gary cooper as a star but i took from that's like 
you know, he, he was an actor and it's like, no, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't work out that way. Actors may believe it work, works out that way, but no, it doesn't work out that way. I just, I just want to say that I don't, I don't want him to necessarily be a six foot two blonde Texan. No, I but I'm just saying it's like they could have cast somebody like that as Felix Slater, yeah. kept the script exactly the same, character would have been totally different. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, that's why my, my theory like, is that Jeffrey Wright yeah. brought a lot of himself to this. For some reason, for some reason, James, having said all that, they could have cast everyone. Uh, Woody Harrelson comes to mind, which yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which but my point is, it's like. His demeanor is not in the script. Or Don Stroud, who was in License Kill, not as lighter, but like physically, he would resemble lighter more than uh, David Hedison. I always, um, I always quite like the guy from Lost, you know, Sawyer. Um, hmm. I thought it would have been a, but a good. Um, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but uh, yeah. All that said, I really like Jeffrey Wright's Felix Slater. Yeah, yeah, so. no, so do I. I, I, I personally, um, I'm very happy that they cast him in, in the role, and I think as it's gone on, he's been able to kind of inject a bit more kind of uh, more personality into it. But um, I think that the, the decision to make him kind of more stoic and, and um, less humorous um, was was one to kind of highlight Bond, really, I suppose. In a, in a new Bond film, they wanted him to be the one who was, uh, you know, the most charming. And you know, um, but, here we go. Valenka has just killed 007. I've got to, I've got to say, anyway, that those but, drinks but, don't look like they're very well chilled, do they? No. no. <laughs> I was about to say that uh, it's, it's a caramilla boy, Vesper. <laughs> throughout the Beyond <laughs> series, though, they've always like built a bond because, like in Honor, Majesty's Secret Service. Originally, it was Tracy was going to propose to Bond. It's like, no, no, we have to change it. So Bond proposed it to her. So it's a, they've always built up Bond at the expense yeah. of other characters. Oh, and, and you know, and, and understandably so, because at the end of the day, it's kind of his movie. And particularly with, with the first movie, I think you can't really, you know, uh, we talked about it when we were, when we were watching um, – on a Majesty Secret Service, you know, I think a lot of the things that were done in that film were to kind of bolster Lazenby and his performance where possible. Look at Jeffrey Wright here. He's just, he's just got that look of like, oh, God, I'm just so useless at poker. Why am I here? <laughs> um, Is this most, most bathrooms and uh, bars at the yeah. weekend in the UK after yeah, three right. months of nobody drinking. <laughs> yeah. Living Daylight throws through the uh, bathroom barrier in Bond films, but this like sends it way beyond. <laughs> um, I do. I think it's being filmed very well. I, I think a lot of the choices that Campbell makes in terms of uh, camera techniques and um you know, choices that he makes uh, are, are really good for this film. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the handheld stuff, uh, a lot of the kind of the, the, well, it's not film grain so much anymore, is it, as much as, the, uh, you know, the way that they um, they process it post-production. But, um, but it kind of definitely, you know, it has a lot of flair to it. Um, 
And I, I always kind of say that he's a he's a quite a workman like director, and I think he I think he is. He's a very solid director, but um, there's a lot more flair in this um, in this film than maybe I gave him credit for. I'll put it this way, man: if I was in charge of a hundred and fifty dollar movie, hundred and fifty yeah. million dollar movie, and you say pick your director, Martin Campbell would be my first call because you know yeah. you're not going to be over budget. It's going to be on time. It's going to be a quality yeah. product. <laughs> But he does have an oh, eye for character yeah. as well, and I think like this scene is a good example of that. Like I, 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 it took me the longest time to come around to this whole sequence of Bond being poisoned and all this because I, I just kind of used to think like, God, this just holds up the plot. Let's just get back to the card game, all that kind of stuff. But it's a real character moment for Bond and Vesper, and it, it oh. really brings you into trusting her, which makes the betrayal later on feel so much. And it, we're seeing Bond vulnerable, like really vulnerable for. Uh, you know, probably the first time, really. Probably uh, as probably as two, vulnerable two, as he gets. Yeah. Two films in a row where his heart get restarted, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the difference. I mean, for, for yeah, me, this, this, I, yeah, sorry. Was, it's just one thing I want to point out. There was a lot of debate about digitalis and poisoning, and would this cure you, and all the rest of it. It's like it's almost like the. Uh, the, the radiation in the world is not enough. It's like screenwriters, come on, just use Google. I mean, <laughs> yeah. stuff you can check. You can check so I this. Watched, I watched this with the doctor last week, and she uh, reliably informed me that that was bullshit. So, um, that's right. That's what I mean. Yeah. She just went, why did they, why did they do that? They could have done this. Um, and it wasn't even like it was a complicated thing. It was just literally like, no, that's you. You should have just said this instead. So, yeah, um, particularly with 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 kind of veracity, when you've got like two two or three doctors kind of conversing with each other, and you know, the emergency side. Yeah, just go and consult. Either get Google, or maybe you've got a doctor on hand. You could ask. You know. It's, there's lots of ways. Words, my point was there's no storytelling reason for them to get it wrong. No. Like, they no, didn't do it exactly. for artistic reasons. It was just no. wrong. Yeah, it was just wrong. Yeah. Um, well, what, what, what I was going to say about the, this whole thing about, you know, they, they, they see that they've got this section with this card game and they think it's going to be boring for everybody. And so they think, oh, we need to get some action in it. And it feels a bit forced because it, it's a bit too oh, – you just get into the game and there's another action sequence. And uh, it's like well, mm, I think most you of got, the time I think you it do, doesn't work you like do, that. You do have to punctuate it a little bit, David, I think, because otherwise it is just you know a good solid hour of just people playing poker. Um, uh, and, I was about to and say, I, like, Felix is like the worst CIA poker player because <laughs> – it's like down to like two chips now. Hmm. Sorry. I yeah, like I said, like I said earlier, it's not that he's just a bad like player. Um, he's also just got terrible like poker face. Yeah. Um, but hmm. but to but to David's point, um, you know that the attempt on his life is made in the book, and it's made slightly differently, as as we all know. Um, and it probably wouldn't have worked as well in the, in the book. But in the film, because um, Bond basically has to throw himself back from the table, and it would have looked ridiculous, probably. <laughs> um, um, but you know, it's it's really just following. It's, it's essentially following the story. 
But um, I, don't, I don't see it as being a problem. Like I, I read poker and, and the way that they're framing it in this as being a body-based game. It's not about luck. It's about, you know, utilizing your, your senses and reading the physical reactions, the little tells that your opponent is doing. And so it's about controlling your body. And so I see this as being a body-based game. And so having action sequences where, you know, bodies are being, you know, hurt and, 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 and killed and, and challenged, um, I feel as though you have sort of like these, these macro expressions of body control and then coming back, calming yourself and having these micro expressions of body control. And I feel like it goes back and forth between them. So for me, I actually like it because it, it, it it's, it's about what the body is doing through all of these scenarios rather than just focusing in on the game. Because if, if it was just 20 minutes straight of the game, I think you might lose some of the audience watching mm. each player, each hand. Maybe that's something that you can flesh out in, in written form. Uh, but visually, I think, I'll, I mean, I've watched those poker games that happen late night and it's not terribly exciting, right? And most, and most of those, Lisa, are edited down to just <laughs> like the, the interesting bits. Right. You know, and there's still a bit of a drag. I did also, just want to say. I, I'm about to say, Lashif, like, Oh, he juggles like the chips in his his right hand, and just he's been doing that for like the last hour of the film, roughly. Right. Just it's like it's an interesting character quirk. Building I just up with the scene. well, yeah, it's interesting. Just to to that, Bill, um, Craig's Bond has been throwing his chips in very kind of cab- in a very cavalier style, whereas uh, Le Chief is very controlled about the way he handles his chips. Um, but to except this, for the but, very last one, except yeah. for the very last one, right? Yeah. Um, but this, but this particular scene is my favourite scene in the film. I think. Mm. Um, so, you know, Bond knows that he's not bluffing. It really, genuinely is just between these two people and who thinks they have the better hand, and they both believe that they they do. Um, and the and the way that they look at each other. It's so, you know, it's 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 good acting. <laughs> you know, you, mm. you're really buying into it, and the chief really believes that he's won at this point. You know, he's got that kind of, you know, there he is. I've done it. I've done it, babe. You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and 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 this and this hand that Bond comes out with, yeah, you know, winning winning on the, these two cards is it's just yeah, brilliant. They groan in the audience because they don't realize, right? Yeah. They don't realize that this is actually the winning hand. Yeah, the five and the seven. Happens. Yeah, and they go, boom. And the, the lovely thing about it is those two aces mean nothing. You know, he's, he's one with, yeah. a, he's one with a low, <laughs> low straight flush. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's just really nicely done. Bond then gives this guy half mm. a million pounds, uh, which is obviously right. CIA, CIA's um, money. Who's the... Yeah, who's a real dealer? Yeah, and they cast a real poker dealer in the film. You can tell yeah, it's like I, he just handle he yeah. just does it so unflashily but economically. It's really good. I will say that also watching these poker scenes, um, like during the secret cinema event, I went twice. It's something to say that they had a, like a huge auditorium full of people who'd all been sort of you know going off on little adventures here and there. Everyone was a little bit drunk, and yet 
those moments still got reactions and sort of like, you know, little gasps and little like, yes, in the audience. It was really, really nice to see it again with a full audience like that. So Vespa's, Vespa's out, outwardly happy that outwardly happy that he's won, <laughs> right? I'm but, screwed. But also, yeah, yeah realization but also, is kicking in behind the eyes. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, it 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 comes to you know it tells it speaks a lot to um, to their casting really you know that they've managed to get somebody who can can portray those kind of conflicting. Um, kind of emotions, and she's obviously enjoying her her meal with him. You know, um, it's uh, you you do really feel like the writing in these scenes between them, and I'm again I'm guessing this is um, you know this isn't purpose of wide necessarily. Um, you know this this the train sequence, them on the balcony, and this meal, uh, I think, are really well handled, really well performed but the script is really good as well. Um, and she's just... Uh, I really want a know, martini. Well, both of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I'm like, I want their martinis. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> and you're doing a really good job of selling it. Like, like you say, enjoying the meal, enjoying the company. You see a twinkle in his eyes, the twinkle mm. that some of us get when we have, you know, our, our martinis. Um <laughs> Like I definitely you notice, buy it. You, you notice that he orders the same thing that he ordered in uh, for Solange. Hmm. Uh, I know that this um, restaurant was supposed to be full of people originally as well, wasn't it? And then they made the decision that oh no, Bond has won all this money. What's he going to do? He's going to buy out the restaurant. So well, it's probably three in the morning as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how I read it. It was like the restaurant's closed, but yeah. um, I guess if you tip the dealer half a million pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you can open the you can open the uh, you know, for a piece of toast. Mm. Well, um, well, one of the things so the I nice, would have liked to have the nice. You go, Ben. Go on, Dick. Uh, no, I, I was I, just going to say very you. brief, very. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, yeah. David. I was going to say in in that scene, um, one of the things I, I always missed was La Vie en Rose, which is in in the which is playing in the background in the book, and I, I thought that would have been just a nice nod. Mm. That, that was all. Sorry, now mm. you go. All I was going to say was it's interesting how in the novel she gets a telegram um, from Mathis, and in and in the film she gets a text message. You know, both exactly the same kind of device, really. Um, so the update on that is quite. quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to say I, I drove along here last year. Mm, so did geez. I. I've taken I've taken some air on that uh, particular uh, curve as well. Um, the Aston Martin track, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's a, the yeah. Millbrook track. It's the the Alpine So I. I did. I wasn't in a DBS. I was in a, uh, but I was in a B12. Um, so it was quite a nice. Uh, it was quite a nice little spin in the country. Um, I did that for the uh, Spectre DVD release. I think you guys did it for Secret Cinema. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about Vespa being just kind of left in the road? Yeah, I, it's I, always I, struck I me as such an odd sort of thing. I agree. In a way, I, I think it's taken from the, the Man with the Golden Gun, where uh, Scaramanga takes a basically it's a, a shop mannequin with a blonde wig on and, and puts it across it, it, oh, the yeah. track of, of his his private railway. And I've, I've always felt it was taken from that, but it, it's very very weird. Yeah. Was it not in the Was it not in the novel? <laughs> No. I'd say this: if if they've got enough time, to, if they've got enough time to tie her hands and legs, leave her in the street, and then drive off, they were far enough ahead to lose Bond in a car chase. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, but I also David, have always, you know, was. Sorry, I was just going to say, I always felt that scene to be very abrupt, and I think that's the way it's designed. Like, here we yes. are, he's in the car, we're expecting the chase scene, he's going to go after them. And so, like you said, there's enough time, and then all of a sudden, she's in the road, the only thing he would react to, and then mm. it, it ends before it begins. And I was always shocked, when, and I still am shocked, you know, especially with the soundtrack, we expect it to be going. So I find it to be an effective piece because what they really want is they want Bond's code, right? And so it's not about mm. getting away. It's about getting him. And this was, I think it's a very innovative way of playing with our expectations in order to get him mm. towards this moment. Well, they, they also they also need Vesper alive for the account number. But, yeah, I know. And um, they massively risk her, yeah. They did um, risk her. But I, I, I honestly thought in the novel that they do the same thing. Do they not? Um, I'm pretty sure they don't. I, I, I will. Uh, I will get the novel out afterwards and, and double check that. Yeah. yeah, I think of the novel uh, as a dummy. Possibly. But there's definitely she's, the there's somebody definitely in the road that causes Bond to crash. I think that's what I remember happening. So anyway, I also just want um, to mention, we're about to go into the famous torture scene. How brave of them to do this, to even attempt mm. to do this and have it, you know, it's one thing that it ends up being a fantastic scene that is really effective and tense and always gets a reaction from the audience. But God, just to even like think in the story meeting, like, okay, we're actually going to do this. We're actually going to have Bond sort of, you know, his bollocks get hit by a bit of rope. And <laughs> yeah, then- the it's like, well, how are you going to update this torture scene? We can't possibly film it like this. Well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna use a rope instead of a carpet beater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't be in a yeah. villa; it'll be in a in a ship. <laughs> but what you know, I mean, the no pun intended, the balls to pitch yeah. this is oh, the, yeah. the, you know. It's like, especially coming off the back of Dine of the Day, where, I mean, Bond was windsurfing tsunamis four years ago, and here we are now doing this. And just even for the actors, like getting the script pages, knowing what James Bond is, like seeing the previous movies and reading this and thinking like, oh my God, you know, is this going to, you know, ruin my career? Is this going to be laughable? But it's perfectly done. Years later... it would be a it would be a card game with walnuts and the triskins. <laughs> I think it I think it just I think it just speaks to the fact that um, Craig and Milkson are just really you know great actors and um, you know, Mads is just playing the scene so so wonderfully um, mm. and I think you know if you had two different actors I think Brosnan I don't believe he could do this scene I just Ooh. generally don't think he could do it. So maybe pain face overload. <laughs> could you imagine? Uh, <laughs> Ten I, minutes I, of the pain face. Yeah. That's oh. it. I, I remember. I remember seeing this in Barcelona in a, an English language screening, and just behind me there were 
there was a mother and she'd taken her daughter, it must have been like eight or ten, much too young, I would say, for this. And during this, and she kept asking her mum questions throughout the films, but in in this sequence, I remember saying, what are they doing? What's happening? (laughs) Yeah, you can't really be in this, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know what what, uh, certificate it was in Spain. But one all, of the, things all, the I really... all the early films are, uh, are rated 18 still, which I find kind of bizarre. Huh. One of the things I really appreciate, though, about this scene is you have, you know, Bond completely on display. You see his extreme pain. His body is reacting to it. He's not breaking. And then you have Le Chiffre who's exasperated and he's huffing and he's puffing and he's sweaty. And it's a great, you know, um, contrast of these two, these two men uh, uh, on screen of who is sort of stronger um, and, and who's going to come out on top. And this sort of shows us that Bond will never crack. Like you can do whatever you want to him, but you can give this extreme form of torture and he's still not going to give it up. So I, I think it's not just how they're playing it, but I love just sort of like the grittiness and and the sweat and the way that, you know, Mads is really playing um, uh, up, trying to hold back his desperation. I don't know. This is this is a very iconic, uh, I would say, Bond scene that, that years later we're looking back uh-huh. and it still holds water. Mm. Just real quick before... Um- before the movie came out, one of my American Bond fans got a hold of a still from this scene. And it's like uh, not this close and intense we're seeing right now, but like you could tell he's like he's sitting naked in that chair. It's like, mm, I guess they really mean it. My friend uh-huh. said in a group to us, it's like, yeah, <laughs> this is really serious. So, hmm. yeah, you. you so I knew well, going into theater, this was like going to be like really, really different from what we had seen before. Mm-hmm. So at this at this exact point, he's going to cut his dick off and make him eat it, right? So yeah. basically, mm-hmm. he's Bond is Bond is dead at this point, right? He's given up yeah, and he's going to kill him. Saved by his father-in-law. <laughs> yeah, saved by his father-in-law. But but really. Um, you know that just to, to Lisa's point, it just goes to show that you know he was he was never going to crack. He was going to die before right. he said anything. And yeah, you know, and this guy, which has, has been died. the entire plot, which has been the entire plot point of several other kind of spy movies. It's like, uh, what, mm. what, how far can you push them to yep. until they give the, give up whatever it is they've got to give up? You know. Well, the Quilla memorandum um, is it's basically <laughs> you know sixty minutes of a guy walking around. <laughs> whether yeah. he's going to yeah. give up the information or not. I have remembered yeah. why Bond crashes in the book, right? It oh, is yeah. he, he goes around the corner. Uh, as far as I can remember, Vesper yeah. isn't on the road. He goes around the corner and Le Chiffre, uh, his men, have dropped those spiky things that the, the, oh, on the road. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, that's right, uh, they have. That's right. He, yeah, and he runs over that and crashes off. Oh, so it's not a You're flock right. of sheep. <laughs> it's, it's like a, it's like a stinger. Or it's it's not cal, it's not calthrops, but it is. Yes, a it is. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks for thanks for clearing that up in my uh, my hazy memory. But I, I think you're right. <laughs> Some I, listeners I, I, would have been yelling at us anyway. Yeah, probably. I, yeah, I, think well, I, I, I couldn't I remember I, either. I, and I, I was thinking. Uh, yeah. I, I just I think we I get I just there in the end. Um, you know, a Casino Royale with 
like the, the first book and the last book. I think I just <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um, just quickly, uh, I I managed to stumble my way to this location completely by coincidence, and the date was the seventh of the seventh from two thousand and seven. So I found myself standing exactly where uh, Craig is right now, just randomly, um, essentially a year after this was was out. So uh, I just thought mm-hmm. I'd share that with you. And w- was there a, a bearded chap handing out medicine? <laughs> uh, no, but I will say that you know when Mendel uh, climbs. I was going to say, but there wasn't a vuncular guy offering chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you know when he walks up that uh, up that little pathway and he seems to slip on the um, on the gravel, uh, you'll see it in a second. Anyway, um, I nearly broke my neck on that gravel. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Bond double crosses Mathis like, oh, but help me in the next movie. I love yeah, the uh, few... I love the the sand sand so coarse uh, gets every. Oh no, that's another movie as well, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago my brother and his family were were in italy and um they they went to visit this house uh, only to find it was closed yeah it's um it's it's a it's like um like a nunnery i think it's, it's what it is now like a, it's you know you see um i i i Randomly, you can access it by water, or you can you can walk through the the, the forest towards the back. Yeah, it's, 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 it's supposed randomly. to be open on certain days. They just picked one of the days it wasn't open. Without <laughs> <laughs> checking first. Um, I because I, I, I really instructed them to take a load of photos, but uh, obviously they never happened. Yeah. I love this dress that she's wearing for a start because I just I think it just looks fabulous and the and the fabric looks really nice and the. You can always see the texture of it. Um, but I also just feel like this is a really nice exchange between them. Um, some of the dialogue in it isn't necessarily great, um, but the the sentiment between the two actors, the way that they're, they're delivering it, really, really, really works. Um, Meanwhile, Mark's about to give away all the money he got. Uh... There's no... Also, I mean, they were torturing Vesper in the other room, in the ship. Yeah. And in the script, I think it's talking about cutting her fingernails out and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no no signs of it here at all. Mm-hmm. No. Like, she should also be in recovery as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. she's, she's so, happily uh, typing in that, uh, that account number with no, no pain. Right, so in this scene, Bond is like... Which is a different one to what he typed in. He won, <laughs> he won through, like... All his effort and gives it all away to Spectre slash Quantum slash whatever the hell the group is called. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, Bond. Way to go. Uh, She plays this very well. That banker guy. Well, thanks, Mr. Bond. uh, See, the first first time I watched this, I took her reaction to be, um, oh, he, he liked me from the beginning because, you know, he used my name as the password as we first met. But obviously, you know, it's the realization that he's just wired the money to the terrorists. Or, yeah. or actually, yeah. as the scene we're watching, well, it's like, oh, Bond, well, you're, you're, total, dude, you're totally stupid. Uh, I can't believe I fell in love with a guy like you. 
But I think that's well, amazing, I, though, that when you're watching it the first time around, you get one type of reading and you're reading her reaction in one way. And then those of us, obviously, who have seen it, we're looking back on it and realizing that it could signal something else. And I think that, again, well, that goes to speak to Eva Green and her acting ability and, and just how the nuances to it. And, and there's a lot well, of depth as well. And, and, and that we can have multiple readings just depending on how and when we watch it. I think it's I think I, I just I love that aspect my comments yeah. are like more based on how this uh, fine movie was like um <laughs> changes something like really bad in later installments but has nothing to do with this film it's it is it is a shame that um kind of this is the foundation for the rest of uh craig's tenure and it never gets better than this you know um and you know all TBD. of the promise. Oh yeah, well, all the promise of you know change and doing something slightly different, treating women slightly differently. Um, you know, Bond being a slightly different character as well. Uh, it's it's like they kind of regressed backwards and threw a lot, as Lisa said earlier, threw a lot of this stuff away as they went forward, and it's sort of it's a bit of a shame. Um, this is also the second appearance of rain in the movie um yes after only one prior to it in the entire series yeah and the uh, second uh, appearance of um uh, craig's shorts. Um, <laughs> shorts and, uh, and if you notice her body, her body is covered like she's not the one in the bikini it's all his body which i've always oh, yeah. found interesting like she could have been in a bikini too and yet she's fully covered and it's him who's just there on display for us it also wasn't the well, warmest day when um, they filmed this it was probably freezing <laughs> it, was, it was well there's there's actually a cut scene of she's in the water with him in this oh. bit and Again. they took that out and, Daniel, yeah, and I remember seeing behind Daniel the scenes, but behind the scenes photos and she's she's wearing a, a wetsuit uh, on the lower half yeah, yeah. hmm and old Craig uh, yeah. would say better living through chemistry, but uh, I'm not saying I uh, I agree with that, but just I've heard that comment more than once. Campbell's done Steroid. a couple of these things. You know, both both the, the Cuban one in Goldeneye and this scene here um, made to look like beautiful beaches, but on both occasions they were um, either freezing or covered in rubbish or whatever yeah. Um, yeah it, it, it's interesting that, I mean this is a you know what a two and a half hour movie and there's still quite a lot of stuff that they cut out as we mentioned earlier you know that well I, I don't think we mentioned earlier that you know there was an initial point where Craig sees Vesper on the platform um, so we, you know there, there was that that's and, right yeah. the whole train sequence is there the train station is coming yeah, so there was that cut out. There was um, the Arlington Beach stuff that was cut out. There was that stuff in the water that we just there was right there. Lots, there was lots also them taking Craig's body out of the ship and putting him on a gurney and taking him to hospital, and that was all cut yeah. out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, all, I, I think all of those. 
And if you're at home, you can pause this and see all the people that work at Eon <laughs> in their inbox. Yeah. Making their stationary yeah. requests. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was just going to uh, complain now because I, I was actually supposed to go to Venice in April. And, uh, well, um. that didn't happen for various reasons. I, I'd planned out all the uh, the Casino Royale itinerary. I hadn't got to Moonraker uh, by the time we cancelled. So uh, hmm. it wasn't entirely wasted. This... Uh, this this yacht it's largely the same yeah, it's yeah. largely the same same this, spots this, this spirit yacht was for sale um at one point it was uh, docked in the uk uh, and i'd made arrangements to um to go and visit it and do a do a piece on it for the mag um unfortunately i got really sick that that, that weekend <laughs> and i couldn't go um and then they sold it so i couldn't i couldn't uh and I, and, uh, I think play on, it. On, on, the, on this stretch of canal, uh, you, it wouldn't be able to get there because they had to lower the masts to uh, to uh, go under the bridges because it's yeah. uh, through the Rialto and stuff. They also cut um, a whole scene with Gettler out as well, didn't they? Um, you know yeah. where he, he explains why he's there, and you know there's there's probably you know I said this is two two films for the price of one. There's probably three. Hmm. No, in what they cut out. Um, but, yeah. Hello, James. I'm about to double-cross you. <laughs> I don't... So, I look, I don't I don't necessarily buy into her whole suicide. I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that it... I mean, obviously, it's taken from the novel, and that's... Um, you know, so they couldn't cut it out of the film, but um, I just, I don't, I just don't know whether, I just don't know whether she would, really would kill herself over, over this. I don't know. Well, at, at this point, they could literally go disappear somewhere. Yeah. Right, especially with his skill set and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, in, in, in the book, could. in the book, she's having she she has on days and off days and so uh you know mm. so bond never knows how she's gonna gonna be and then you know he's got no idea why she's having these massive mood swings and then it's only afterwards mm. he, he realizes that she's got all these internal conflicts but yeah you see none of that here yeah i think there's there's a lot that she could you know when when the Shifra says you know i know a lot about the organization that's that's still welcoming back with open arms um I'm sure that she has enough knowledge. She could she could basically make sure that they keep the money. Um, she could become protected. You know, there's a there's there's a lot of options open to her other than killing herself. Um, Would it be fair to say this is the first James Bond movie where Bond totally fails in his mission because the the organization gets the money back. As we'll see, that, that, that should have that should have been the Michael G. Wilson cameo, the very nice man from the Treasury standing in the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah, made yeah. you. Is he I, never I, thought it was, I thought yeah. it was the second Michael G. Wilson. Yeah, I know. I, I did. I did. I, I could. I could never understand it. Yeah, but so that would have been, been photography. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I thought it was like he got two in for the price of one. <laughs> Michael G. Wilson for the two for the price yeah, of one. Because when I when I when I watched it for the first time, I was thinking, "But hang on, uh, that's the police chief who got arrested, and so now he's in <laughs> <at> HQ." <laughs> I did too. Yeah. 
God, this guy got his money's worth, didn't he? You know. Where That's are the fine. pigeons? The Where are dog. the dogs? Where's the trunk <laughs> <laughs> that oh, the taken? Meanwhile, Bond, I have totally screwed up. Like, ah. um, so, yeah, to Calvin's, to Calvin's um, point, um, the sinking villa is, uh, and we mentioned it when we did the, the, the um, Moonraker podcast, um, the sinking villa is on the location just behind where Vanny Glass is in um, Moonraker um, mm. and I think I did some stills I posted on Twitter when we did when we did that podcast but uh, yeah it's, it's the same location and Phil Neville um, just posted a couple of pictures of, uh, of him in the same location as well yes, sorry did. about that <laughs> So there was a lot of like, oh, is this a reference to Don't Look Now? I said, like, I don't buy that. Uh, just, no. just, because, just because there's a, a woman wearing a red dress in Venice doesn't mean it's a reference to Don't Look Now. That was something that like our, uh, when I went to university, our screenwriting lecturer told us, right, there are three things that you can't write about. One is a lady in a red dress. Two is a scary clown. And three is a student with like drug or alcohol problems. Those are the three things you can't. <laughs> Go near. We were like, oh, okay. Great. Okay, so we, we need the third of those in a Bond film then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That really um, special episode of James yeah, Bond Jr. I, mean, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I will say, it's like a lot moodier than Moonraker Venice episode, Venice mm. scenes. And seamlessly, we are going to be. Uh, uh, we're going to be at the 007 stage. I thought at one point um, we were. Um, um, uh, I thought at one point that the guy that Bond shoots there is uh, um, uh, the you know the guy from Quantum of Solace who protects. Um, by the way, he, he just got spotted again spying, you know, just to point it out that he's... <laughs> yes. still- Gary, he got spied by Gary Powell. The, he got spied yeah. by Gary Powell, the stunt unit coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Um, and here we are on a Peter Lamont so, yeah, set. Um, you can't really tell the joints, yeah, can you? Not- <laughs> no, you really can't. Well, it's a lot smoother um, than Diamonds uh, Are Forever. Between the... Uh, um, Oil rig and uh, Ken Adams set, so like, yeah, pretty good, Peter. Yeah, it's not. It's very, very nicely done. Um, mm. uh, you look, yeah, this Peter is Lamont a rare instance of uh, movies where the crap in the. I was just going to say this is one of the rare instances of the mum movies where they use something that's integral to the action, but they don't explain it. Like, how many audience members would yeah. realize that they put inflatable balloons in houses in Venice while they're working on them? You know, yeah. it's like. Mm-hmm. I yeah, we needed a tour guide coming around, well, showing people around and saying, these are here because... Or it's yeah, they, they, they do it in a lot of the other films, but not this one. Mm. Like a freeze frame, and like in the corner of the screen, to explain it. Uh, yeah. Well, it reminds me of just Camille, like, oh, that's a sinkhole, we'll be seeing that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah... I mean, I, I think yes. Tr- it, 
when I when I was watching it with Melissa the other day, she did say, "What the hell are those there for? Isn't that convenient?" And I kind of did have to go through the whole like, "Yeah, well, there's no foundation, so they have to basically float the things um, when they're doing work on the structure." Mm. But um, by the same token, I think it's relatively explained through the action. You know, I think you know yes. once you see them. Oh yeah. Once you see them burst, you kind of go, "Oh, well, that's why that, that's what's what's holding it up." So it kind of. Mm. I don't think it. I don't think it really requires. Oh, definitely not. No, no, I'm not saying it requires it. I'm saying in any other film in the series, they would have telegraphed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, like in the novels, like oh, modest scene, movie, like <laughs> big action scene, like that's like you know, in the novels, like oh, like Vesper's been found out, she commits suicide. Movie, like big action scene, like that's how it goes. Hmm. I think we needed it though. Like, I mean, God, when was the last yeah. big, the big action scene was in uh, Miami airport really. And before that, the free running, it's really only three big key moments of action. Right. And I don't disagree at all, but just still, mm. just it's, mm. this is the difference between novel bond and mm. film bond. Mm. Hey, I like this scene. I, I feel as though like everything is crashing down on Bond. Like this is a great mm. metaphor for, I mean, his world is going to crash apart. The woman that he loves has betrayed him and she will die. And I think, you know, in, in the novel, I think she just simply commits suicide. I, uh, she takes some oh, sort right. of substance and, and we don't really see sort of a flushing out in that moment um, to the same degree. And I, I like this metaphor. And, mm. and I always love utilizing whatever's at your disposal. And so utilizing construction or destruction sites becomes like something that happens across oh. a, a few of these Bond films. And and I so I, I like that component. We're building up Bond, but we also have to destroy parts of him in order to mm. get him to that place. So metaphorically, it works for me. Mm. Literary Bond is Casino Royale is like a novella. This is like a big... Oh. Film is like a big built I, out. I, I do like Bond in this action scene because he uses the environment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's yeah. things he finds and uses and stuff. It's not just him being, right? You know, an assassin, quote unquote. Hey, <laughs> right. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember that other Bond film um, where he's having a fight on a crane? Oh my god! No, this mm. is the same film. It just feels like it was years ago. Um, does, you know, it does. It does. It does feel like that. You know, like if you, if you think about this this moment now and going back to the the bond in the Bahamas, it just feels like mm. it feels like ages ago, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. From a character standpoint, I I, 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 I don't. I don't think that the film itself feels long. I think it, it has a good pace and it, it feels shorter than Spectre by a long mar- long way. But. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. But I know what you mean from a character perspective. It feels like, oh, that was a different person, really, who we were watching then. I'm not going to I was going to say, uh, Lisa, you, you were saying that um, uh, you, you didn't know what uh, v- Vesper... Uh, took to kill herself. It, it was it was uh, an overdose of sleeping pills. I think she she just emptied her, her bottle of sleeping tablets. Sleeping pills, yeah. yeah. 
I just want to say, I, best acting in the entire series is yeah. Evergreen pretending to drown here. Yeah. It gets oh, me every freaking time. Yeah, I have chills right now. Haunting. I, I'm not. It's, it's a bit dusty in where I am, so I have maybe uh, just well, just something you, in my eye. You, were you cutting mm. onions just now? <laughs> well, I, I just think in terms of, you know, lacking, you know, vanity for, and I really like that. Like, you know, she didn't just sort of drift away gracefully. It's yeah. a real, like, you see the Terror. panic in her face and it's like, yeah. oh shit, maybe yeah. this wasn't such a good idea now that I'm actually in the middle of doing it. But then obviously it's too late. I just, I like that it's a pretty horrific, grim moment yeah. when you see the bubbles going over her face and she's like really yeah. crying. It's fantastic. I, I, I actually... Um, controversy. I actually don't think you need this scene of him trying to save yeah. her. Um, because the last image you'd have of her then is her, her drowning. Mm-hmm. And, mm. you know, yes, it could cut to Craig kind of like making his way out of there and stuff, but, it, you know, he doesn't need to bring her body to the top and try and save it. So, no. yeah, rather than this being the shot where she just like rolls over to the camera, um, I think it would have been more, uh, it would have left a I, think, I, more I, haunting image in the viewer. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But this with is this, this scene only. This scene only exists to get Bond's reaction. Yes. Yeah. 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 And but I think that is important. That, but you, yeah. But Calvin, you could have still had that reaction if she's locked in that lift and he couldn't get in there, but he was running out of air. He would have still had to have gone to the surface and still had to have had a moment where he just went, you know, I could save her. But it's the and I think it is a good uh, fake out for the audience. Actually, I showed this to my partner, uh, one of the first Bond films he saw, and he was just kind of like, "Oh, she, well, she obviously she's coming back." Oh no, wait, she isn't. And I, I think mm-hmm. it's it, mm-hmm. it, it is a good good subversion of expectations. And I like that he goes mm. to that extra length. It shows that he really has not given up on her. I think it's quite effective. And we need to see mm. Mr. White going away with the money as well. I suppose that's true. Yeah. I also think um, the scene on the boat is incredibly important because in the novel, it ends with Bond saying the bitch is dead and sort of reporting in and reporting yeah. back. And in this scene, it's developed more by having M take on a more maternal role. And she actually steps in and says, actually, you need to think about this, Bond. She did this for you. She must have loved you. Um, and really takes whatever that that punctu- like the novel ends with the bitch is dead. Like, that's it. Those are the last lines. And she comes in and she sort of smooths it out, softens it out and contextualizes it for us. And I mm. think that that's an interesting divergence or divergence development um yeah. uh, moving forward i've got, got, got to tell you I, I read the book when i was eight or nine years old uh, the, the first time and uh I, I couldn't believe the ending of it i i i was shocked <laughs> I, and i uh it, i kind of i really teared up and probably i did shed a tear at that oh. age uh and i just couldn't believe how brutal bond was to vespa hmm. Mm, and I know, yeah, it's it's hard to read it, isn't it? And I think M's um, reaction here does go a long way to kind of redressing that and softening it a lot. Um, I think it, I think it's one of the updates that I really do do like. Um, you know, that I also think it's the only way they could get the line in the film. Uh huh. Mm. I don't think that the, the line needed to be there. I know that a lot of fans would have, you know, kicked off, but fans always kick off, don't they? And, you know, if they're not going to kick off over, well, they would kick off over uh, poker versus Baccarat. So I don't 
think yeah, the nine. We, well, we've got two hours without mentioning the fact that the blonde bond shit that went down. Yeah. Two thousand five. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. yeah all the things that I think it's the way that they do the scene. I agree with you, Lisa. I think it's way better than the book ended, but. I think it's still a little bit out of place for him to say it, considering he's just going through a purse and clearly like having memories of the beach when he's holding the seashell and stuff. I mean, that's not somebody who just says the bitch is dead like 30 seconds earlier. I always saw it as being a protective mechanism. Like he is saying Mm. it because that's what he's supposed to say. Right. Mm. That's what he's supposed to say to his boss. You know, she was a horrible person and she's dead, but really I I read that uh, in the, I, I read it differently in the film, just the way that Craig plays it as mm. being, he's just like really hurt. And you say things very firmly when you're hurt, mm. but then she softens it and allows him to then open up and look through in mm. ways that if he was just yeah. pissed off, he would have taken that thing and chucked it. So for yeah. me, I read it as being, it, it works for where the film is trying to end rather than say ending with him saying that. And if the film would have ended with that line, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be okay with that. Um, actually, I would say like the, um, the novel actually like extends that. It's like, he says the bitch is dead, but like, he is like really wounded beyond mm. what he says. Yes. In the novel. This um, is an uncomfortable way of meeting Here we parents. are in 2008. <laughs> so I would say, I would say like the, I would say the movie like extends that. <laughs> And the movie also is going to try to end on a more. Who hasn't wanted to do this to their father? Somewhat positive note. <laughs> Which we did not know in 2006. So. Yeah. Who did thought? Yeah. Why did they get Sam Mendes in? Ever. Ah, oh, Casino Royale. Casino Royale's well, great. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. But it's a good movie. But it doesn't. But clearly, Eon did not like plan beyond it. No, right. I agree no, with that. Stumbled, well, like, well, but they yeah, still. Yeah. I mean, cons- considering the the media coverage of this film during production and what the perceived anti Craig rhetoric was. I don't blame him for not playing past this film. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, they did, they, and, and, and they didn't know what they had. They, they didn't know. What, yeah, but they didn't know what they had until it was finished. And, right, I, right? and, and I think I, I think Sony wanted them to do another movie like a year and a half later, and then it got pushed back to two years. But still, it's like I, I, I think even afterwards they didn't realize what they'd done either, and they didn't. Then they they don't. They didn't know what they did, and they don't know how to reproduce it. Right. Well, except that they asked Campbell to come back and do the follow-up, and he said no. Mm. Yeah, well, they, because <laughs> they, they you know, okay, like, come back they, again. And said, no. we, yeah, okay. Well, perhaps they, they credit him with a, a lot of the uh, decisions that were made that that went well. Then, uh, yeah, perhaps that's a, a better reading of it. Yeah, sure, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, for for me. Sam Mendes t- took it in the wrong direction completely. So this, to me, is up there with Majesties, usually top two. And usually, if I watch Majesties, that's number one. Then I watch this, then it becomes number one, and they kind of alternate. But um, how do you all feel about it? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go if you don't mind. I've, I have a feeling that this is probably going to be 
the one podcast where we're all on the relatively same incredibly positive page, which uh, I think says a lot about this film. Mm -hmm. I think it has a very special place in general audiences' um, hearts as well. I know Skyfall was incredibly successful, and I think people are generally very positive about that film as well. But this is, I mean, this is the one. This is huge, and um, I mean, just everything that it did. Sorry, just as a just as a unifier, like of all aspects of fandom. Which is which is funny considering the d- the divisiveness that went on prior to yeah, it coming nuts, out, isn't it? Because now everyone just sort of looks back on it as being this you know a great thing, and and it and it is. It's fantastic. It just it just all works. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be more positive. It was really great seeing it uh, with the secret cinema audience, as I've said a couple of times during this. Just seeing a bunch of people. There were a couple of people who I random people I just end up talking to when I was out in the smoking area and just sort of asking like, so you know what what do you do you know bond at all that kind of thing and they're like oh no maybe saw this like 14 years ago or whatever but um it still had quite a lot of draw and people still remembered it very well and um i think it's uh it's held it really well aside from when people look at their phones and they're really outdated i think it holds up really well technology wise and everything it i don't think it's dated much at all um, yeah, it, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic bit of filmmaking. Really, really love this one. I'll go next. I, uh, go ahead. Um, so sort of pushing back on Calvin, but then also fully agreeing with him. So Ooh. this is the first film that I saw with my dad. And I hated it when I saw it. I absolutely hated it. I sat there. I was like, what the heck am I watching? There's no fun. There's no humor. There's no lightness. I don't understand Daniel Craig as Bond. No, legit. Like I was like, this is the worst thing ever. And I went forward and I, you know, wrote articles on this. I've written a lot about the Daniel Craig era. And this is one of those movies that the more that I've watched it and the more that I've thought about it, the more I've actually come to love it. It is now one of my favorite. And I think what it did was it, because it was so different and because it was doing something different, I was having an emotional reaction. And I always Mm -hmm. tell my students, use your emotions as a stepping stone to film analysis. Why are you feeling this? Don't just accept a feeling, dig into it and uncover it. And I look back on this film and anytime that it's on television, anytime that, you know, we do a watch along or a watch group, I absolutely love it. And I appreciate the the music, the way that it's edited together. Um, I, I enjoy watching Vesper Lind. Um, I, I like the action sequences. Like, I think it's a really great film on the other side of it. And so you can change and you can develop uh, your feelings. And a lot of fans that I talked to have said, you know, at one point in my life, I watched one film and hated it now i appreciate it or vice versa so i think that we can have these these evolutions in our feelings about james bond so i think it's so to, up. to ask you a personal question why did you have a negative reaction to it do you think in the beginning and then warm to it later you know what it honestly i am a more era girl i love humor i love laughing i like witty one-liners and i like the brightness and i i can appreciate what casino royale is doing in rebooting as a standalone film and i appreciate what martin Campbell brings to the table i think where the craig era starts to fall short for me is that it's like the whole craig era is kind of one big downer 
And, you know, you watch the films and like it's it's all doom and gloom. And there's moments of brightness that I'm missing in the Craig era films. But I can take Casino Royale away from the rest and be like, I, I like the idea of rebooting, rebranding, breaking down conventions, which I rejected when I first saw it. I'm like, what do you mean? That's, you know, the martini. And what do you mean when he says, like, does it look like I don't give a damn or or whatever the line is? And I'm like, why don't you care? But looking back at it now, I can see the revisioning that's happening and the reworking that's happening. And I really appreciate that as an approach. And, you know, when, when you mentioned the idea of like who you'd pick in Martin Campbell, like he gave us the Brosnan era and brought Bond, in a sense, back to life in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And he did yep. a really good job with this Bond film and, and reviving it and recreating it and remolding it. And so like when you're asking me like moving forward, like who should be if we move to a next Bond actor, like I can't help in my gut and be like, I think Martin Campbell would probably be, a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a good call for it just because he has this track record of just revisualizing and reframing and marketing Bond to a new generation. So I think just the realization of what he did in retrospect I, I don't know. I just, I can't help but love this film because of that. The thing that always, always holds me back on Martin Campbell coming back is that I saw Green Lantern and I know <laughs> that, I know that he's not, I mean, that's the thing. Like when you, I've seen like enough of his other stuff to know that he's not necessarily a, a foolproof director. It's like, there's a lot of his stuff's quite dull or doesn't work or whatever, but there's something about his Bond films and, yeah. and a good few other films. I think his first uh, Zorro film is quite good as well. But for some reason, it just coalesces really well with GoldenEye and um, Casino Royale. And that normally doesn't happen with Bond directors. Normally, you know, for every Goldfinger, there's a Diamonds Are Forever. For every Skyfall, there's a Spectre. Uh, but Martin Campbell, yeah, he evaded that. Um, by the way, Calvin, just so, so you know, like I grew up on the original Green Lantern 60s mm. comics. So like, like I like the movie, but like I get why people don't. So because mm. <laughs> the original Green Lantern was like in 1940 and then like they did a reboot in the 50s. That's mm. sad. Yeah, no, I, I've no idea. I, I mean, I saw it once. I, I don't know anything else about Green Lantern. I don't even really like superhero films that much, but it was, uh, yeah. A lot of, I'm doing this because the magical ring is telling me to do it rather than uh, the character. <laughs> just, just, anyway. David? Uh, I love it. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't really know what to say. I, I, I remember when... Uh, Daniel Craig was first cast and I, I wasn't sure about him at all and I remember I asked my uh, well she was girlfriend at the time wife now and I said well uh, this is the new Bond actor what do you think and she said uh, yep definitely <laughs> no she said that is that is James Bond and uh, wow. and uh, and the only the only Bond book she had read then was Casino Royale, and she said, yeah, I can imagine him doing Casino Royale. So I thought, okay, uh, hmm. I will trust her judgment and uh, and see how it goes. So, um, but, you know, I, 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 I had my ups and downs along the, uh, along the course of production, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I was never 
into the kind of anti-Craig thing and, you know, all the stories about him being out unable to drive stick shift and all that kind of stuff. Just it's like, yeah, well, typical tabloid crap. Um, but uh, the thing that always cracked me up about that, David, was nobody in the UK calls it stick shift. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it just proved it just proved it was a US bullshit mm. news story. Didn't yeah, it? but even the US, like most people, don't drive a stick shift. So, like, it's like it's double bullshit. And uh, and I, I well, I I saw I saw it uh, at the premiere and. Um, with uh, James and all the MI6 crew, and uh, it, it was fantastic. Uh, and I've always loved it. I, 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 I can't. I, I don't really. Uh, I, I don't really think I, I've got that much to add about it. I just. I, I think it's a, a great film. I, I've got great memories uh, of watching it the first time, and and ever since. Uh, I, I do think um, Eva Green is probably the best Bond girl, and. Uh, um, yeah. Those fighting words, more than Diana Rigg. <laughs> Sorry. More so, more so than Diana Rigg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, but uh, there you go. Oh. Oh. No, I'm, I'm in that camp as well. I, I think she's the best. Um, and I, I just oh. like that she, since this, she's made a real niche in like you know timber, and she's she's a quirky actress and a very geeky sort of person generally. Yeah, um, it's one and, of the- and I. Sorry, Calvin. You, you oh no, go ahead, David. No, no, I, 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 I completely agree because uh, when we were watching it, and I, I meant to say at one point that one of the things about her is that she, she seems to change a lot uh, in different in different scenes. She, she just mm. uh, her physical appearance it seems to change change a lot, and uh, um, yeah. and 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 she she is very very quirky, and uh, I, I do like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I was just going to say exactly the same thing. I just I like that. I, I don't feel like there's anyone else like her in bond and i don't know how much of that is me bringing my knowledge of what she's done since then and i see a lot of her films i think she's a fabulous actress i think she's absolutely brilliant um yeah uh if you want to see her really act uh, i recommend cracks which is directed by ridley scott's daughter uh in which she plays a boarding school um teacher i don't know if it's a terribly great film but i think she's great in it to think we could. I was just going to say the one person I mentioned that didn't forgot to mention who screen tested was Kira Knightley. Oh, mm. really? Yeah. So, in the category of bullets dodged, I think. <laughs> Sorry, Kira Knightley fans. I just couldn't see it. You know, I'm a Kira Knightley fan. I'm glad you apologised for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I accept. <laughs> I think this is one of those cases where you can't, I, I can't envisage anybody else playing the part. Mm, yeah. Like, it's so incredible. Whereas with some of the other movies, you can kind of like, yeah, we could have switched this person out for that person. Mm. But Eva Green is so Vesper and Vesper is so Eva Green. It's like they're so in, tied together in my mind that I yeah. can't possibly see anybody else playing the role. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, David. Uh, sorry, Bill. Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I go through this uh, cycle like I'm, when the movie comes out, like I'm really excited. Then like, well, then I think about it later. It's like, oh, well, wasn't that great. But with this film, that second cycle, it's like didn't happen so much. So I liked it a lot. I still like it a lot. And, um, you know, like you can, I can pick some 
quibbles, but like, no, it's still great. And yeah, so like, I'm pretty high on it and I'm still high on it. Where does it rank, Bill, for you in there? Oh, Not, we all have our 25 number things, but I avoid rankings, but like three, four, five, somewhere in there. Ben has unfortunately dropped off his connection, so um, I could, think he made his feelings clear through. We could have uh, lassied it and be like, what's that, Ben? You really liked it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a terrible film and everybody who likes it shouldn't be a Bond fan. What was that, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've said this before on the podcast and... Um, that after seeing Casino Royale, I found it very, very difficult to go back to the old Bond films for mm. a long time. Like, and I can't, I can't yeah. remember how long it was, but it, it was probably at least six months or, or something like that. And uh, I, it, the, the style and just everything about it is so different from anything that went before that uh, it, it was it was difficult to think that it was part of the same series. And I, I, I kind of didn't want that for a time. This was something very, very new, and I just kind of wanted to embrace that. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I, I didn't really mention this. I, w- I was like... 13 when Dine of the Day came out and 17 when Casino Royale came out. And it's just the, the level of sort of difference in in the the quality of film, just the tone, the style, everything was such a drastically different thing. And for a while, it was quite hard for me to accept that this was part of the same thing. Like <laughs> this DVD sits on my shelf next to all these films. Really? Is that... Is that the case? But it's uh, it's really, yeah. I, I feel like maybe the other Craig films have just made it to easy, more easily envelop this in with the others. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think enveloping it into the other is actually a detriment to the film. The way that if you if you look at this as part of the Craig era, mm. I think it's better as a standalone film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Then well. I would actually I think I think the worst thing they did the worst thing they did to Casino was retcon it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I I would say yes, I agree. It's like it's really a different thing. It's like Wilson Broccoli decided like we're going to start over and they did. They really did. And, and, and like, that that, really that cannot have been an easy other. decision either. Mm. Uh well I think it was easy in this extent because, like, this came out in 2006. They began filming in 2005. And their mother, both of their mothers, uh, passed away in 2004. It was really a totally different thing. And, like, it's not the same series from this point on. It's like... Before it was like the Cubby Broccoli, Dana Broccoli series. And like from this point onward, it's the Michael Wilson, Barbara Broccoli series. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, but but they, they could have just continued along the same path and, uh, you know, making progressively kind of worse and worse Bond films that would still have made money. And uh, um and they decided to, to kick against that. So I, I, I do think it I do, do think it's a big decision and I do think it's difficult. It was a difficult thing to do. I agree with 
this film when Quantum came along, maybe not so much, but hmm. still. Yeah, I think like when they won the rights to Spectre and couldn't wait to use it, right? Yeah. To the detriment of that film. Um, getting the rights to do the book, I think, triggered a series of events that weren't necessarily their first, the thing that they were necessary. So getting a new actor was subsequent to choosing to do Casino Royale because you can't go and do Casino Royale with Brosnan because he's an established history as a character, right? You have to go back to the beginning. So then you have to recast, then you have to reboot. Then there's no cue and money penny in the book, blah, blah, blah. So I think a lot of the decisions were kind of after effects of choosing to do the book versus them sitting down with a blank sheet of paper saying, all right, we're going to reboot the series. We're going to do all these kind of things. I think they just fell out of the decision to do the book. Mm. But who knows, right? We're not in their brains. We don't know what they were thinking at the time. But Mm. I just... I think maybe some of the changes that were made were knock-on effects of one singular decision versus a big like roadmap plan. Yeah, no, sure. It's uh, um, God, I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, <laughs> my mind's blanked, which it often does at this time. It's like of chain day. reaction. No, no, no it wasn't a cha- chain. Re- it's uh, it's it's when uh, you deliberately limit your your choices and. It helps. It can help with creativity. Mm. And uh, God, uh, why can't I think of what that's what that's called? But uh, anyway, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's the, the, if they made that decision and they, yeah, they they cut down their choices immediately, and that uh, may have helped their creativity. I, I, I've no idea. I, I don't know how it went exactly. Can I also make a point of the influence of this film on James Bond scholarship? So. Academically, scholarship on Bond started in the early 2000s, like concentrated scholarship started in the early 2000s. And that's pretty much like 40 years into the franchise, 20 films in. Um, What this film did, Casino Royale, is it really sparked a second wave of scholarship. It got the attention of a lot of film scholars looking at Bond from very different uh, ways. So people who weren't talking about Bond before all of a sudden became interested um and there is i don't want to say there's like a like a like a stepping stone forward but there are a lot of us who really do treat the daniel craig era as being its own distinctive era because it is so so different and there are a lot of special issues and books um, and book projects that are coming out that are focusing just on the craig era films and so this did spark a lot of interest not only in terms of fans and critical work uh, but it also sparked a lot of scholarship on J. James Bond. So it is very influential in that way, bringing more minds and more people together to talk about it. So I just wanted to highlight that mm. in terms of yeah. where, where it falls on the scholarly realm. I forgot to mention that in my recap. That's a, that's a really good point. I can't help but think that this film would actually be seen, I think, better in the wider public than other Bond fans if it had been a standalone, like mm. Majesty's. Like if Craig had just done one movie, can you imagine walking away after this? Mm. And that would have been, yeah, that would have been a whole different can of beans. Um, mm. I think it would hold up better had they not bothered. <laughs> with, with, the, with the quote, quote, I mean, even Craig came out and said the second difficult album, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you've had a hit. How do you follow it up? Well, yeah. Also, um, did 
Daniel Craig ever compliment Purvis and Wade? He complimented Paul Haggis for this film. But, like, I don't recall yeah. any quotes that, oh, person, wait, they're great guys. Like, and- no, the, the other thing, though, is the script was finished before Campbell was hired and before Craig was cast. In terms of Purvis and Wade's work on it, initial work was done before Campbell came on board and before um, Craig was cast. So Craig probably would have had more to and fro with Haggis, right? Right. I don't think he would have had much interaction with Purvis and Wade at that point. But the other thing to mention, and in terms of lost in the wash of Bond history, was the script for this leaked, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Early in the film, early in the production. And not that it was like, um, because it was based on the book, obviously, not that they were trying to hide any plot points or anything. But they shot what they shot was relatively, you know, I mean, that comes back to Campbell being an efficient director. Um, There's nothing in the film that wasn't in the script. And there's bits of the script that obviously they filmed that didn't make it into the film, but it was so. If you read that script that leaked, there was you know it was pretty much shot for shot in the final film, um, and all the hullabaloo that came about the the Spectre leaks and everything. Um, well, you know, worse happened for Casino, and you know what it did to the reaction, public reaction film. Nothing, mm-hmm. no negative react, you know, no negative impact whatsoever mm-hmm. that the script came out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why the whole. Um, the hullabaloo about secrecy and fake outs and controversy about leaks and everything. I think this is a film that's evident that that can happen. It has no detrimental effect on the film. Hmm. Well, so. Twitter didn't exist then. I don't think, I think Twitter was 2007 or something or maybe yeah, 2006, so, yeah. but uh, people went on Twitter anyway. All right. Any final thoughts or should we go into the, um, undemocratic thing we're going to do next week <laughs> one quick thought for me is like it's it's a very significant entry in the series and it's like it's one of the most important films of the series so mm-hmm. that's all i have to say yep agreed yep me too i can't believe it took 15 votes before we got to it but <laughs> well, well it was the first vote it was in wasn't it yep yeah Pretty much. Well, yeah. Well, there was no cries on Twitter for, can you do Casino Royale? It's like, Uh, stretch. All right, so we've got a bit of a backlog of Roger Moore entries. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're just going to put four out of the five of them for vote next week, and we're going to do Roger next week. So, Um, (laughs) So, sorry, Thunderball lovers. You're going to have to wait for another week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where do you want to go? I don't have. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to throw four of them up randomly on Twitter. But out which of five. four? <laughs> which four are you picking? I don't know yet. Mm. Well, actually, all right. Okay, here's here you go. Then each of you pick a Roger film. Then <laughs> yes. that's, that's what we're wrangling for. Go on then. Who wants well, to go? I'm going to go for the man with the golden gun. But you knew that. <laughs> yeah. <we did. laughs> I'll go last. Go, go ahead. Okay, I will go for uh, Spy Who Loved Me. All right. I'm going to go for Octopussy. Okay. Bill, you got first or last? Oh, 
I was going to say Octopussy because I've been working on an MI6 confidential project about Octopussy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can, no, I can I, take it back and you can have no, Octopussy. No, no, no. <laughs> Get the going uh, last uh, strategy didn't work, did it? <laughs> no. I've heard that so many times. <laughs> so any bets? I think we're doing Spy Love Me next week. Oh. Oh, I think Octopussy actually. We will see you next week for a Roger adventure, everybody. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you take life, do you know what you give? Odds are you won't like what it is. When the storm arrives, would you be seen with me by the merciless? Eyes of deceit.